Welcome to the Flytrap Coalition podcast, where we rediscover what it means to be human through interesting and insightful conversations on the topics of athletic performance, nutrition, holistic health, philosophy, psychology, mindfulness, endurance sport, and so much more. If you're listening to this, then you've been chosen, and I only have one thing to say to you. Welcome to the Coalition. Coalition, what is up? How are you guys? Hope you guys are doing well. If you're a fan of ultra running, more specifically ultra running podcasts, then you already know my next guest. Scott Coomer is the founder and host of the legendary 10 Junk Miles podcast, and we have him in studio today. In true 10 Junk Miles fashion, as an homage to their great podcast, we went long for him today. We didn't stick to any specific script. We didn't just talk about ultra running. We go into politics. COVID-19, behind the scenes, TJM, podcasting tips and how to be successful. If you're a new podcaster or looking to start a podcast, we talk about ultra running. We talk about just about everything, guys. And Scott opens up and told us about some of the things he went through dealing with alcoholism and more specifically some things from childhood that he was very courageous and uh, vulnerable and opened up. And uh, man, I just feel like I know this guy so well. Um, from just the couple hours we spent together. He's a brave guy, very courageous, giving, selfless individual. And I'm really honored that I got the chance to know him. And I'm honored to have had the chance to share his story. Proud that I can now call him a friend. And hopefully the Flytrap Coalition and TJM 10 Junk Miles will be uh, allies in the future. Coalition, I'm honored and privileged to bring you my conversation with Scott Coomer. Scott Coomer, welcome to the coalition. Hey, thanks for having me. No, it's an honor to have podcasting royalty in the coalition today. So thanks. Thank you very much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. I think royalty might be a little bit of a stretch, but uh, it's always fun for me to talk to other podcasters. That's for sure. Absolutely. This is the, I guess the second time I've talked to another podcaster, but uh, you know, you're what you've built with the 10 junk miles podcast is, you know, one of the the premier running podcasts in the world. So I am, uh, I'm seriously honored to have you. I want to talk about your podcast. I want to talk about 10 junk miles racing. I want to talk about your backstory, your running, but uh, you know, being the time that it is, it's April 11th, 2020. We're right in the throes of the coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So how are you doing through all this stuff? Let's get the, uh, you know, address the elephant in the room. How are you holding up through the quarantine? I think I'm doing pretty good. I got a little weird for a while. And now I've kind of settled in. I, uh, I like working at home a lot more as it is. And uh, I've kind of taken this time to, like, for, for example, yesterday, I caught up on some emails that I evidently haven't answered from like 2016, 17, 18, 19 related to the podcast and stuff. Uh, but uh, I'm getting caught up on a lot of stuff. And then the other thing that I'm doing is I'm trying to provide more content and connection for the, for the listeners and the fans of the show. So we're doing all kinds of crazy things to like uh, give activities to the people that listen to the podcast. Yeah, that's amazing. I've noticed that you've done some Meet the Nation where you're doing podcasts with people that are fans of the show. I think that's a really cool way to involve them. And I think you continuing to push out this content is is really respectable. And I, I know that it's hard work, you know, having a podcast of my own. It's not as easy as just 
clicking on a link and just having a conversation. There's preparation and there's there's time and energy and a lot that goes into that. And I think it's admirable that you're pushing that content out when people need it the most. How, what are your thoughts? Because you have a running podcast, but part of your success has been you're not afraid to talk about social issues, political issues. Um, and we don't necessarily need to go down a a Trump rabbit hole, but like, what are your thoughts just on the pandemic in general? How do you think people are faring and what do you think it's done for good or bad? What's the good and the bad that you've seen through this? Well, it's interesting because I was scheduled to go to Australia in late January, like January 25th, maybe. And we had to, we rescheduled that trip first because of the fires in Australia. And then second, because the pandemic started and we were we were flying in and out of um, Hong Kong. We were going to be spending a couple of days uh, on each end of the trip. And when this pandemic started, we we're just like, you know what, this, this must be a sign. Let's just go to Mexico for a week and, you know, hang out on the beach. So, but while we were in Mexico, for some reason, this pandemic just caught my eye. And I was watching when it was a hundred and two hundred people and three hundred people, and I was sending messages to the to the people in, on the show, and they were all telling me that I was crazy, you know, like that, you know, I was being an alarmist. And I kind of watched this thing develop, and also because I have podcast friends all over the world, I've seen it affect them on a, on a different timeline than it's affecting us. And it's interesting to me. There's, it's like there's a lot of different camps, right? There's more people die from the flu. There's that guy. And then there's, you know, we should just all stay in the house and never leave person and, you know, everything in between. And it's kind of brought out some of the best in people and some of the worst in people. But I think that the the one thing that I haven't seen that I'm waiting for is kind of like that. And I don't know how old you were when uh, September 11th happened, but like after September 11th, there was like this, we all kind of got together on the same side and it like made us feel more connected, feel stronger. You know, once in a while, I feel like a touch of that. Like if I'm out running and I see someone walking and I say hi to them and they say hi to me in kind of a way, like I wish there were people in my world now and there aren't, you know, but there, it, it, it's still kind of astonishing to me that there's so much divide and so much uh, fighting over the issue. I've been, I've been unfollowing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people on Facebook just because I'm just tired of watching people argue about this. I completely agree with you. I think whatever somebody is, this is kind of amplifying them. If they're a fearful person, they're more fearful now. If they're very confident and positive, they're being even more positive. Um, And I also agree with you that I think it is bringing people together. I'm the same way. I took my trash out the other day. And normally I don't really talk to my neighbors. I'm like, I'm just not a person that talks to his neighbors, but I see them and I wave to them and you just feel a little bit something different. And I think this thing has a way because it affects everyone and it affects everyone in a deep way and and taps into their fear. It cuts through the minutia of everyday life and and the little disparities but it is it is also sad to see like you said that it does bring out the worst in people as well so it, it is kind of discouraging you have the the 5g conspiracy camp and then you have the other it's it's it you do get to a point where you just want to put your phone down and just do your thing because well, it can get uh, get to be overload and and it seems like it's it's so incremental that um there are people right now that are being told that they can't they have to stay at home. They're thinking, "Oh, that's crazy. What do you mean we have to stay at home?" You know. And then at the same time, there's my friend in, in um, France, in Lyon, France, who if he if he spends more than uh, two kilometers running, or if he goes outside without a piece of paper, the military sends him back at his house. 
and everybody's on a different kind of timeline on that whole thing. So I'm talking to some people that say, oh, nobody's really got this and it's just old people. And then down the block from me, they're building a 3,000 person emergency hospital at McCormick Place. You know, so it's kind of like, exactly. and, and, you know, I have, I interviewed one person that had it. I'm going to be interviewing a person next week who her job is to put people on ventilators in Los Angeles. Wow. You know, and it, it really depends who you talk to. But, you know, for me, I, you know, I guess I would say that I'm a gambler and I am not an alarmist. But in, in this one, I feel like it's really terrifying. And I think we should all just like stay home for a month and get this thing under control so that we can go back to having our lives. And my fear is it's going to be, you know, challenging it. I mean, and we could talk about that as a separate issue, like how the running community is, is handling this. But there's, a, you know, the society, it's kind of like pushing their limits and then, then getting scared and retreating over and over again. And, and that's really not going to make this thing happen quicker. Exactly. I think you can take precautions without being an alarmist and be fearful. Your actions should be in alignment with what the top scientists are saying. One of the biggest indicators that I've been looking at is just the hospitals. When I hear that the hospitals are overloaded and they're overwhelmed, then I say, okay, listen, this is that's an issue. That's a that's an objective issue that we should all be able to agree on that we need to all take action to tamper that thing down and let's get this thing down to a manageable level. And you can do that without being an alarmist. You can do that without being a fear monger. And I feel like we live in this binary society where people need to jump in one camp or the other and the nuanced voices get lost in the shuffle, which is the side that classic silent majority. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it because you're a measured guy. You have reasons for believing the things that you believe. And, uh, I think it's good to just get that message out there that, look, we're going to get through this. I'm not afraid that this is going to kill me. You know, I'm 38 years old and pretty healthy and I'm not afraid for myself, but I sure, I definitely don't want my parents to get it. And I don't want your parents to get it or, you know, like anybody's, I don't want anybody to get it. So it's like, let's all take smart moves, but we also don't need to go crazy. And like, let's, let's not yell at people if they're out on a run either. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, the other part of that is that I think someone needs to say to, I think it's just as bad as the flu or more people die from obesity, or you're not going to take away my freedoms. This is America guy. All of those people. Those are those are all opinions that are within the Overton window. You know, these are those aren't crazy notions. Like the idea that maybe we just all go outside and all spread it around to each other, that's not a crazy idea. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a possible way that the people, you know, and I look and I say that that Fenucci guy or whatever his his name is, the you know, the the old science guy who hangs out with Trump. Fauci. Yeah, like who knows more than that guy? Exactly. Probably nobody, right? <laughs> so <laughs> if he's saying stay in the house, let's say he's wrong and we we didn't need to, you know, it's like it's like wearing a seatbelt. You know, nobody ever said, Oh, I wish I wouldn't have wore that seatbelt, you know? Just this one time, let's just let's just do it. I mean, we've been training for this our whole lives. Netflix, internet, I have every song ever made available on Spotify. You know, for $2.99, I could watch a concert. Last night I watched a concert of Iron Maiden from like 1983 in surround sound. Like this, we're ready for this. We can do it. Exactly. It's not that much to ask. It's really not that much to ask. You know, the people that have it hard are people that don't have all these things. You know, the people that, that have to go out and work on utility lines and that have to be at the grocery store, even though they don't want to be because they 
you know, they, they're a single mother or, or whatever, like they have it difficult. If, if you have the opportunity to work from home or you're being paid through this period and you're on your couch, like let's come on, it's, it's, it's not that bad. And I love the analogy. I think you said it, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I saw it on your Facebook page with the people that are saying it's just like the flu or more people die of car accidents. I think you said, you know, more people die of car accidents than bear attacks. But if there were 25 bears walking around downtown Chicago, I'm probably going to stay inside for a little while. Was that you yeah, that, that, that made that me. analogy? That yeah. was brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's, and I don't know. It's, it's so complicated and there's so many, and you, like you said, you're, you're, you know, older people or, you know, maybe you're not going to die. But then, you know, you, the other thing that we don't think about is, for, so for example, the, the um, ventilator issue. Now, like me and my wife, we're both healthy. My wife has asthma, but whatever. Let's say she gets sick and they come to take her to the hospital. People don't think about this. I'm not going with her. I don't get to go visit her. I don't get to hold her hand. If she has to go on a ventilator, she has to make that decision with a doctor without me. And I don't get to go see her. And she doesn't know whether she ever gets off it again. And I don't know whether I ever see her again. You know. Yeah. And although that's mostly old people, it's mostly unhealthy people, it's happening to some people. A little, a little girl died here. You know, like a like a five year old girl died here. So you know, if if so, what I think is, am I probably going to get this? Probably not. It's pro- I'm probably not going to be in that scenario. But if staying home and watching Netflix is going to keep me from the one percent chance that I have to make that decision, it's kind of a no brainer. Exactly, and I think what you just said is is one of the most overlooked and sad things about this is us saying to ourselves, well, this is just something that old people get. And maybe, maybe who somebody saying that doesn't have a grandparent alive anymore, you know, all my grandparents are, are past, but it's like somebody's lived their entire life and lived, you know, to be 85 years old. And then to have to have that person go into the hospital by themselves, like you said, in an overly worked environment where nurses and doctors can't give the attention that they normally would and die by themselves with you know, the nurse and the doctor with a screen over their face, that's, that's about as sad as it gets, man. And this, this virus is just the perfect storm because you can't have that contact, but it's like for us just to, you know, for people out there that aren't taking it seriously to just think, well, you might give it to the person that gives it to the person that gives it to the person that gives it to the old lady. And like, let's all just, we can hang out for a month. We can, you know, I'm not saying don't go to the grocery store. I'm not saying to be an alarmist, but we can, we can chill out for for a month and a half and see where this thing is at. But I don't want to belabor the point. But I definitely wanted to get your I definitely wanted to get your take on it. It's a tough thing. It, like whenever I interview people and it comes up, like I had one I had to edit some out because the girl was a former policeman and her husband was FBI. We got into like a you know civil unrest and you know what 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 our bug out plan is. It got really creepy, you know. So sometimes I try to just avoid it totally, but I also think that for historical context, you know, it's interesting that the the conversation is taking place during this and that you can't ignore that it's happening. Exactly. And I'm I'm really hoping that and I, I don't have a whole lot of hope for this. Maybe 10% of the population coming out of this will have some kind of epiphany where they look at the world differently where they start to realize for me this is a, this virus is a symptom of of a greater disease that we all have in the in the way that we treat the planet and treat each other and treat animals i mean if if you look back on all these viruses and pandemics they're all they're all out of um 
an animal exploitation situation. And if we, and not to mention Australia was just on fire, polarized caps are melt. Like it's happening. We, we hear these, these estimates from scientists saying, Hey, if, if we don't change our course, human, human race has 70 to a hundred years or whatever the number is, it's happening. It's actually happening right now. I mean, we're seeing it. And uh, I really hope that people after this not only have a greater appreciation for just being able to hang out with each other, but also just to go, man, we need to ch- we need to change some things about the way we're conducting ourselves. Yeah, most of them we can agree on too. Like we need to get rid of those wet markets. Like we don't like we don't need people buying you know bats and pangolins out on the street. Right. I mean, let's start there at least. Right. Yeah, we can <laughs> all like- agree we shouldn't be selling people live bats to eat. Okay, I think that's <laughs> that's not controversial. No, and I mean, if you if you look at not to go out too much of a tangent on this one, but if you if anybody walked into a factory farm situation, we we would all be appalled. We would all say this is this shouldn't be happening. Let's let's at least start where we can start and just just try to make some changes. But being that as it is, I, I really wanted to dig into your podcast because I think it's uh, like I said, it's one of the most popular running podcasts out there, and I'm really curious. I think you started the podcast back in 15. That was really before. Podcasting was, you know, it definitely wasn't as big as it is now. What was the the uh, precipice for for getting into that? Well, there was um, <clears throat> there was Trail Runner Nation, there was Ultra Runner Podcast, there was Talk Ultra, and then I want to say there was DFL Ultra Running, which was a it's not around anymore. My friend Eric Sherman did that on the East Coast, and it was for the the back of the pack, and he ended up having a heart attack and dying. Right after we started our show, but that was kind of the ultra running landscape at that time. Like those were the only shows that I knew of, and I liked listen to them. I, I listened to I've listened to every episode of Trail Runner Nation, Ultra Runner Podcast, and Talk Ultra that's ever been released, uh, and it was a big part of me becoming an ultra runner. And I, you know, everything I learned, you know, I kind of learned from those shows. But um, one thing that kind of always rubbed me the wrong way was that it was always, it always seemed to be famous people and it always seemed to be about their running. And I always, I've I've always thought it was a little bit strange that unlike other sports, ultra running and runners fetishize the elite runners and simulate what they do. So for example, I, maybe I like to play, you know, softball. Maybe I'm a big softball guy. I don't, listen to podcasts of Brian Braun and learn all about Brian Braun, what he does when he plays baseball and what does he eat and how do you know, what kind of equipment does he have and what, you know, like, but in ultra running, you know, here I am, you know, this, you know, 220 pound back of the pack guy, and I'm learning all about, you know, Anton's nutrition plan, you know, or what kind of equipment these guys have and what, you know, how they train doesn't really relate to me. So I thought first, I wish there was a podcast that, related to the everyday runner. Second, in the in the day I used to listen to Adam Carolla and he had a a girl who did the news named Allison Rosen. And Allison Rosen had a podcast called Allison Rosen is your new best friend. And what it was was her and her friends who we could all say are they're not like B-level celebrities, they would be like C D E F G H I G, like P-level celebrities, <laughs> you know, like people that are in the industry. And once a week, she would have this show where they sat around and just talked about nothing and what's going on in their lives. And for some reason, 
I really connected with that show so much so that I remember I was driving somewhere with my wife and she, she looked at me and said, why do we listen to this? Cause we don't know these people. Why do we care about these people? But, but we did because, you know, not unlike when you watch a sitcom or read a long book, you, you come become connected to the characters and their lives and the inside jokes. And and it becomes like really fun to have some friends to hang out with. And so that kind of pinged me as well. So those two things were out there. Yeah. And I think your show does an amazing job at that because what it feels like, and especially with the, with the gang shows. So for people that don't, for people that don't know, you'll do solo podcasts where you're doing, doing an interview uh, that you call the long run. And then you have gang shows where you've got, uh, you know, a group of people. And it really feels like when you go on a group trail run and afterwards you kind of just hang out and eat a cliff bar and just, and have fun and talk about that time you fell and the time you had to use the bathroom. And like, it feels like you're hanging out with a group of people around a campfire telling, telling stories. And I think you really nailed that. And you do, you kind of give people the impression that they're part of this, part of this gang. Well, that was the, so that's the the third part is that, so then that those two things put together. uh, And then the last part of all this was that I formed the ultra running group in Chicago called the Flatlander ultra runners in Chicagoland. And there's about, 2000 some odd members in that group and we would go for fat asses or do like a saturday training run and we'd take a picture and there'd be like 50 of us and uh, i had friends that maybe lived in you know remote areas of the country that said oh that sucks i wish i had 50 people to go run with or i wish i had you know running friends i can't you know and, and you know when you go on a 50 mile training run with friends it's like living, you know, your whole life in like one afternoon, you're all talking about random things. So then all those things kind of melded together. And one day it was about, uh, maybe 10 to 20 below on the Chicago lakefront. I was running with this guy, Corey Fain. I told him about my idea. And my idea was to make a podcast with your running friends for when you have no one to run with. So that, you know, every Thursday or what Friday or whatever day it comes out on, you could put us on your ear and take us on a run with you. And, uh, and he just looked at me and he said, we should do that. Let's do that. I mean, the problem is obviously I have no uh, experience, aptitude. Uh, I've never done anything like this and I don't know anything about this, but we just kind of plopped it all together and went in my basement and didn't think that anyone was going to listen to it. And then the next thing you know, uh, everybody listened to it. So that's kind of the story. So do you guys all get together when you do these gang shows? Are you guys meeting at your house and you guys are all physically in the same spot? During the time of Corona? No. But prior to that, every gang show, everyone was here at my house, plus the guests. So, I mean, you talk about complicated booking and setting up a show. I have to get all these people on the same day to all agree. Then we do a food order. They come here. I give dinner to everybody. We have drinks. And then we all go into my basement. We sit We sit in this studio-type basement room. And then, boom, we record the show. Oh, man, that's awesome. That must be an absolute blast. Yeah. it's. I mean, most times it's, it's really fun. There's There's been some completely drunken fiascos. You know, sometimes if we'll do it on a weekend where we have like a long run and then when, uh, so I guess at, at some point, maybe a year into all of this, I decided that there are some people in ultra running that I really want to know that I don't know enough about. And the problem with them is that they're not maybe famous or you know, superstars. They're just people that they might be, they might be a particularly good runner. They might be, you know, an interesting person. They might have an interesting side story. I don't know. You know, like, um, 
who was the first? The first one was Vanessa Runs. Do you know who that is? I don't. Okay. Yeah. So when I first came to ultra running, she was like really known as this kind of nomad. Her and her boyfriend, uh, Robert Shackelford, Shacky, they drive around in an RV and she wrote a book called The um, the Summit Seeker. And uh, she was just everywhere. And, and I never knew her story. So boom, I want to sit down with you. It's, I did her interview like two hours long. We just talked about whatever. And then I just made a list of people that not, not people that I wanted to have on the show because I thought people would tune in or like them, but people that I just legitimately wanted to know more about. I think that that is, you know, and if we ever talk about like podcasting theory, I think that's something that really, really facilitates a good interview is when you actually want to know about them rather than here's so-and-so and, you know, tell me about your Western states that I already know about and tell me about the, you know, it's, it's more like, you know, who are you and how did you become who you are and what, you know, what makes you do the things that you do and, you know, and then it kind of went off from here. So then it became the, the gang shows and then that's the long run. And, and now this thing that I'm doing now is more just during the time of the Corona, I thought, what can I do? You know, how, I mean, basically that's, that's been the whole story of how I've dealt with this crisis. How can I help people? Uh, one of the things I thought of is the people that listen to the show formed their own Facebook group called the TJM Nation. I have no control or authority in that group. I tell people not to join that group. It's a bad place. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it has a lot of inside jokes, things that, that might not even have anything to do with the show. Someone might have posted a picture of their poop once. I mean, it's just <laughs> insane. But those people are the diehard fan. Those are the people that send you a message on, on Saturday when you didn't put a show out on Friday and say, what's going on? You know. And uh, yeah. so my idea was every day until the lockup is over, I'm going to just do a short 20 minute interview of each of them with like a set group of questions so that they can all know each other. Um, and that helps. That's so cool. And I think that's one of the things that is so great about your show is it's not pretentious. Nothing's off limits. You guys talk about real world issues and some people aren't going to like that and they'll go away. But what you're left with is this really loyal diehard following that that knows you and knows you're authentic and knows what you are and what you're not. And I, I think that's the best way to go about it. And it, it's obvious that you've set out to build a, a community and a movement and that's, that's what you're all about. And I think that really shows through. And that's why one of the reasons that your show is, is as successful as it is. And I would love to talk some podcasting theory with you. I know I'm just interested in it to hear from somebody that's, you know, I'm only, gosh, I think eight episodes in or something like that, eight or nine. So to, to get to talk to somebody that's had such a successful podcasting career is awesome. So I'm curious, how do you, you mentioned looking for people that have maybe a little bit more than just they're really fast or, or they're a really good ultra runner. So it can be difficult for me trying to find that balance of who's the right person for the show and how do you go about finding them? What Are you just connected to a point now where you know people get recommended to you? Or are you out there looking for new guests? What What is your protocol for trying to find interesting guests for your show? It's a, it's a hybrid of all of those things. And, and I don't mean to say that I don't have famous people on the show because I do. And, uh, but what, what I do when I have them on is I talk to them about relatable things pertaining to them and they have to be interesting to me. Like I won't, like what happens is every time someone wins a race, I get 10 people that send me a message saying, Oh, you should have so and so on. They just won hard rock. And I always say winning hard rock is not enough to make me want to have you on the show you know i have to want to know you so basically 
when people send me names and stuff, I, I put them on a, a database and those names I look at, you know, on a regular basis while I'm looking at social media, while I'm reading. I mean, I still listen to just about every running podcast there is. I read all the magazines, you know, I'm, I'm on social media a lot because it's part of doing what I'm doing. And, you know, if, if somehow or another I grow an interest in someone, then I then I reach out and book them. If if not, I just leave them on the sheet and as a name that you know maybe someday I want to interview. And and that sheet has like about eight hundred names on it, and I'm never going to get to all of them for sure. But uh, and then sometimes I'll just grab somebody new and random. Like like Anton was a good example. I've never been an Anton fan. Uh, I had no interest in interviewing him. <laughs> and then when the Corona happened, I thought everybody's home. Wonder what Anton's doing, you know? And I thought <laughs> this would be a perfect time to call him. So I just like randomly, sh- and he, I don't, he gives like a one in, one interview a year, you know. And I send him an email, and boom, you know, he want, you know. So I'm not saying that I don't do famous people, but you know, like if you're in and around the running scene, there's some people that you just see everywhere. You know, like when now where you were, uh, are you St. Louis, Missouri? Yeah, St. Louis, exactly. So, all right, so you're in slugs. You have um, so a good example, Eric Strand. Okay, he's in the the St. Louis Ultra Group. He does. I see him every year at Leadville. Every year he does a Grandma's Double. Every year he does Boston. He's a really positive guy. He's all over Facebook. He's really really nice. I've met him a few times. Like, who is that guy? I want to know him, you know? Yeah, that's the, yeah. So that's like the kind of person where I would just say, I want to, I want to know this. Or, you know, another example, if you're listening to this on your, on the West Coast, there's a guy, Chipping Fu. He's a Taiwanese guy who goes to, he does probably 20 hundreds a year, no crew, no pacer, no drop bag. He just uses his backpack. He takes the bus to the race sleeps in his car if he rents it or you know and he's just like a minimalist guy but he is everywhere like what's his story you know because sometimes you don't stop and and, and meet them it's just i just see him every time i go to a race you know so those exactly. are the kind of people i look for that's so cool i'm in the same camp with you like i really like to dig into what motivates people i love it when they so like I'll give you an example i was watching following the moab 240 last year and i just started following Instagram accounts of people that were running it just to keep up on the race and see what they were doing. And I found this guy, Chris Plunkett. He had never been on a podcast before, but following his Instagram account, I was like, this seems like a cool guy. Seems relatable. I want to know more about Moab. So I'm going to have him on. And then he started telling me about this story where he was doing the, uh, the John Muir trail. And he said he went by himself. And I was like, why would you do that by yourself? And he gives this long pause. And then he got into, well, I had just gone through this really hard time. I had just gone through this battle with with alcohol abuse. And I don't know if, if you're like this, but when I start to hear that, I'm like, this is amazing. Not that it's amazing that he went through a hard time, but like, this is what I love to get out to the public is these stories about real people that have real problems that fight through it. And how did they get through it? What was their darkest moment? How did they come out of that? Like, to me, that's a beautiful thing. And that's the, the most interesting part of someone. So like, do you ever have that where I'm sure you've had it thousands of times, but you'll be talking to somebody and then they just start to go into this side of themselves and offer that up to your community. It's like a, it's like a great moment, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, like that was one of the best things about Anton. Just I only bring him up because I just did it, but his mama just died. So like I, I said, let's do this. He said he would do it. And then he posted on Facebook that he was back home for his mom's funeral. 
so I sent him an email and said, you know, just, I understand I, my mom died last year too. And, um, just we'll wait. And then we ended up doing it anyway. And we started talking about our moms and I'm like, well, this is it. You know, like this is the good. St-. And it's, it's good because it's like, you really get to know the person and you get to see, exactly. you know, we all run and some of us run faster and some of us run further and some are slower and some run shorter. But you know, when, when you, when me and Anton are having a deep conversation about how impactful the death of our moms were to us, then he's relatable to everybody, you know, and that, that kind of like opens up like what I, I there's always like a point in an interview where I feel like I just like popped the, the, the ketchup started flowing out of the bottle. Yes. You know? <laughs> sometimes exactly. you know, like with him, it started really early, you know, but um, sometimes it takes two or three hours. You know, like I think one that comes into my head is uh, Jamil, who I, who I already knew and I had already had very, very long, deep conversations with. But when I interviewed him, like three quarters of it was pretty standard. And then at the end, we started talking about he was he had a toxic relationship and how it like started to upend his family and his problems with his family over this girl. You know, and I was just like, oh, yeah. people are loving this, you know? Oh, for sure. And it's yeah. like I, I know what you mean because we're not we're not saying that in like the way of like a TMZ. Oh, let's we're saying it in the in the form of that's a beautiful thing to bring to the audience. Like to, for when somebody gets vulnerable about their struggle with alcohol or the passing of their parent, everybody goes through those things. Everybody's got their own stuff. So when you hear that other people went through it too, especially high profile people like Anton and Jamil, like it gives everybody else permission to go, okay, even the people at the top that are doing these amazing things have gone through shitty times. So it, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a gift and I'm with you. Like to, to, it's an art to try to pull that out of somebody because not everybody wants to talk about that on a podcast, but when you can get somebody to open up, man, I'm with you. I just feel like what a great, what a great gift to give to, to society when, when that happens. And you can't um, always do it either. You know, it's, there's no. sometimes you just come like Jen Shelton. That was like my, my most disappointing interview that, you know, like I just couldn't, I mean, Everybody liked it still, and she liked it, and and she still will talk to me. You know, we're still friends, but I don't feel like I got her. You know, like I like I cracked her for everybody. You know, right. and that's kind of <laughs> what I wanted to do. Like I was like a, a good example, and he probably won't listen to this, so it'll be all right. Uh, Grant Mon, who's one of my all time favorite, like the toughest. He's the toughest man in the world, and he's a he's a ship captain. And like last year, he did uh, AC 100, uh, Vol State, Iditarod 1000, uh, Arrowhead 135. I mean, just any climb Mount Everest, you know, like just just for fun. So you know, I have this guy on, and he has a he has a like a glass eye, and he's like in the middle of the discussion, he's like, "Oh, it's something about my eye." He goes, "But that's another story, and I'm sure you don't want to hear." And I'm like, "No." I totally want to hear that story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's just like, I, that was it. Like, boom, now I, I know yeah. we're there. <laughs> I know. People always say like, well, I don't want to go off on a tangent. I'm like, please, like, go, run, <laughs> run with it, man. For sure. Um, do you ever do you ever beat yourself up? I mean, you mentioned that one interview. Like, I, I do this sometimes. I'll finish an interview, especially if it's somebody that I really... So like my second interview was with Abdullah Zinab who won the Trans-America bike race, one of the most interesting people I know. And I actually got to meet him when he was coming across Missouri. So, and I'd been following him on YouTube and Instagram forever. So I was like, a, I was a fan of his. So when he came on, it was only my second show. I felt like I fanned out on him a little bit. Like I was, I was too much of a fan and didn't really, didn't really quarterback the actual podcast the way that I should have. And man, I hung up from that, got off that podcast. And I was just like, 
and, and he's he's still talking. We're cool. So I think for him it was fine. But like I was beating myself up for a week. Do you do you get that? Does that happen to you sometimes when you finish one and you go, God damn it! Like I that could have done so much better on that one. I think other than Jen Shelton, and I think I did one with Brian Powell from I Run Far. Other than those two, everything else falls into the category of I just don't know. Like, and, and this is way more true with the gang show than with the um, one-on-one interviews. But a lot of times, oh, there, there's a few. Like, like Anton, I knew immediately when I hung up the phone. I was like, holy shit. I have to put that out right now. That was amazing. Yeah. But the rest of them, I, I don't know. Like, sometimes you feel the magic, but most times you're not cognizant enough of it. The, the ones that I know are really good are the ones where, like, we get lost in the conversation and, and we almost forget that we're podcasting. You know, like it's just a conversation, you know, like, you know, when you were a kid and you stretched out the cord and you went in the closet and you talked all night long or whatever, you know, like it's one of those, like we're just totally intense. Like a um, good example, John Figverisi, who was the guy that won Barkley in that movie, the Barkley movie, the one that's on yeah, Netflix yeah. and all that. So he's right. the guy that finished and I didn't know shit about him. And he was and he was a really interesting, he's like a scientist and he goes to Antarctica and he drills in the ground and we talked about global warming. We talked about all kinds of crazy stuff. But we had this great conversation. The next day, he I don't know if he called me or he sent me a message or he said that his when he hung up, his wife looked at him and said, John, you were on the phone for a long time. What'd you talk about? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> she said, That's well, awesome. How do you know you didn't say something stupid? I said, I don't know. So he asked me to give him the file to listen because he had no idea what we talked about. So, and, and a lot of times that's, that's the same for me, you know, or even for the gang show, like I'll do a gang show, I'll put it up. And then all of a sudden in that TJM nation, they're like putting up pictures of um, strawberries and everyone's making strawberry jokes. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? You know, like, because I don't, there, maybe somebody told a joke about a straw. I have no idea. It was like yeah. two weeks ago and, you know, all kinds of different things have happened. And so it's, it's weird, you know, but I think that there's only been a couple that I felt like it was bad. There's a ton of them where I felt like, I don't know. And then there's a handful where I'm just like, that was gold. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's like, I don't know if you're a golfer, but sometimes you just hit, you hit the, you hit a drive and you're just like, that was perfect. And usually it is when you don't even feel it. We talked a little bit about authenticity being kind of a cornerstone of your show and doing a show that you actually want to listen to and have guests that pass your sniff test. And, but you know, you can build on that if you want to, but what else do you think is the recipe? So for, for newer people starting out with podcasts, if you were to mentor someone, give someone some basic advice that you know, it's principal advice, not 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 super nuanced, but like that would work for everybody, whether they're doing a, a show about makeup or running or science. Like what do you think are the, the, the hallmarks of a of to build an build an audience and build a strong show over time? It's a good question and I get asked that all the time. I've I've actually gone out to eat with people to tell them about you know, like they want to pick your brain and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of podcasts out there that came out of you know, those discussions or that were influenced by us. Like there's a one in, called Cultra that's a Connecticut ultra running group. And it's just like our gang shows. They do the same format and they, they admit that they took it from us, you know? Uh, but yeah. I think I, I think I gave them advice and told them how to do it. So it's I'm not, I'm not complaining at all. Cause you know, everybody wants more podcasts, not less. 
Um, yeah, let us know how the let us know how the lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what what I tell everybody if they want to do a podcast is first of all don't do it because you want to make money and don't do it because you want to make get famous because it's not the mm-hmm. path to doing that. Um, that if you want to succeed, I think there's three things you need to do. One is you need to be authentic because if you go into like NPR voice or you know try to be someone that you're not. People mm-hmm. can smell that out. So if you're if you don't know something, or if you know, just just be yourself. Okay. Uh, number two is to be consistent. Uh, I think that our fans they know it's coming every Friday, and so every Thursday night it's going to be downloaded. Every Friday morning they expect the show to be there. If it's not going to be there, I tell them why. And there's only been a couple times that there hasn't been a, a show on a Friday. But pod fade when you do a show, and then. It's like two more months before you do another show. And then it's like three weeks and maybe you do, a sh- you know, like eventually that results in stopping doing shows. You know, there's, there's not a lot of people I know that have been able to do it for a long time, just sporadically putting up content when they feel like it. And then the, the last thing is to don't ever forget that the people that are spending time listening to your show are giving you their time. And you have to give it back to them. Like you have to interact with them. You have to answer their Facebook messages and comment on their picture when they finish their race and uh, give them kudos on Strava once in a while and like their tweets once in a while and, and you know, whatever. But you, you need to interact with those people because like it or not, they look up to you. They think that you're important or you play some important role in your life. You know, like I have, I've put out maybe 300 shows with an average time of two and a half or three hours. That's like, so if someone's been listening to this show, they've listened to like thousands of hours of me, you know, they've given me thousands of hours of their time. And so if I see them at a race on a trail in the grocery store, you know, out in life, I'll take a picture with them. I'll make a video with them. They can come join me for dinner. You know, I'll have them come on the show. I don't care. You know, they can call me on my phone. I like, I don't care. I just, that means a lot to me as someone that maybe there was a point in my life where nobody wanted me around at all, but to have people, hundreds, thousands of people spend their day or time with me, you know, you gotta, you gotta be there for them too. And, and, um, and then the last thing I always say is, let's say that only 50 people listen to your show or 25 people or maybe a, a thousand or a hundred, you know, just think if a hundred people came over to your house tonight and said, uh, Brian, just, I want you to talk to me for two hours. <laughs> that's right. a big deal. You know, that's a lot of people. That's, that's like filling up a college classroom. You know, yeah, 100%. So I, I get a lot of people that are like, uh, only 600 people download my show. I'm like, if 600 people showed up at your back door tonight, that would be overwhelming. You know, that's that could be a bad night at a minor league baseball game. So don't ever think only, you know, if if if, if 10 people spent three hours listening to me on a show, that's a lot. That's a lot. You know? Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I think that's that is great advice. Um, I'm definitely going to take that in. And I, I think the the way you're doing it works because, because you're authentic, the fans that you do build like you for who you actually are too, 
which is right. amazing. Those 600, whatever, you know, I'm sure your numbers are much bigger, but to your point, even if you have someone has a relatively small audience, if they're true fans, if they're truly, they really like what you're doing. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's an amazing thing to build a community. I mean, there's, you know, I don't know how many, seven, eight billion people on the planet. Like you don't have to get that many to build yourself a nice little community. And that's really what it is. As you talk about giving, it's a back and forth relationship. It's not, oh, I'm, I'm sitting on my throne and throwing down scraps to the the people. It's like, no, we're, we just, we're trying to create a community in an area that we think is important. You know, there's, it's that whole, like, whatever you think you, there needs to be more of in the world, go just create more of that. I think that's what these conversations largely are. And the people that want more of that, um, they listen in, but is there, is there anything that you don't like about podcasting? Do you have a least favorite element? Um, and if you don't, that's fine too, but is there something that you kind of think you, that there's a part of it that you don't necessarily like? Nobody likes scheduling. Scheduling is a pain in the butt. Um, yeah. You know, um, I just, I want to go back to the authenticity. So please, I'm going to, we're going to come back to this again too, but what I, one of the people that I looked up to early was I heard a long podcast by Kevin Smith, the guy from Clerks. You know who that is? Yeah. He's, he's a really interesting dude. But, you know, like one mm-hmm. of the things he said was that he decided early in his career that he wasn't going to make content to get fans. He was going to make content for the, for the people that, that liked the content he was making. Okay. So, yeah. You know, I can't get, go get, you know, Courtney DeWalter and do a You're So Awesome interview so that I can promote it and get more people to come listen to my show. Because so let's say that let's say that you love Ultra Runner podcast. OK, that you're really into somewhat successful, famous, short interviews of um, great runners. And then I put out this Courtney DeWalter. You listen to it. And you're like, well, I'm going to subscribe to this. This guy's great. You know, not only did he interview Courtney, but he did it for like three hours and they talked about all kinds of crazy stuff, you know? The next show is going to be a gang show of me and my moronic friends in my basement talking about (laughs) the color of our poop while drunk. (laughs) And you're going to be like, what in the fuck is this? I don't want to listen to this. You know, and it's going to turn you off, you know? Exactly. So I have to, you know, I, I can't change who we are, what I do. To, to go out there and lure in people that aren't going to like the product that I'm putting out anyway, you know? So to me, you know, I have, I would say I have a thousand people that will ride or die 10 junk miles forever. And maybe yeah. about five to 10,000 that listen to the show regularly, you know, and maybe 20,000 that might download it if it's something that's good. You know, I want to make those thousand people like this, this doing these 20 minute interviews of random, just people from this Facebook group of morons that turns people that's going to turn off Courtney DeWalter fan, you know, so I can't, you gotta, you gotta kind of just work with what you're given, you know, whereas the other, the thousand ride or die people, they've always wanted to know who Heather Cobb was. And they're so, this is so exciting. Now I know what she does for a living. And then they go on the, we have a, a, you know, what Slack is. Is that the like the tool you communicate with, like an instant messenger type it's of like collaboration a, tool? It's like a chat group. Okay. So there's a there's a Slack for the Ten Junk Miles fan group. 
Nice. And, and there's there's 166 people in there talking at all. They're just talking all all the time, just randomly. That's about so whatever. cool. Those people get excited, you know. So it's like I like that idea though. That you know, like whatever your thing is, you, you don't want to you don't want to change what you do to lure people to come that aren't going to like when you do what you want to do, you know. But in terms of what I don't like, um, the administrative and the scheduling part is really really hard. Um, the few people that want to be on the show just because they're wanting to promote something or because they're they feel like they're entitled to it because they're famous and then maybe reschedule or no show those people were kind of irritating but um, yeah so that that part of the busy work i don't like to do and and i don't like the fact i've i discovered during this catch-up time in the corona that that i have i have nine twitters three instagrams six facebook pages and I'm in charge of like five or six Facebook groups and that everything's got a goddamn messenger. So there's just, there's all these messages that I've just never read, you know? So yeah. that, that's kind of a pain in the butt, but it's, yeah. it's a good pain in the butt to have. No, that makes sense. I mean, if that's the worst of it, I think that's, that's obvious that you, you're doing something that's in line with, with who you, who you are. And I think your point on authenticity is so well taken. I mean, I've gone through that a little bit just in the, you know, eight or nine episodes where the first, I think four out of the first five or five out of the first six people I interviewed were ultra runners. And I was getting a lot of good feedback from the ultra running community, especially the local ultra running community. But I really don't want to, I don't want to just do running. Like I'm interested in, other things. So like I had an MMA fighter on, I want to get a primatologist on. I've had some different, different authors. Like I, I'm in, interested in other things. And you really, I think early on, you have to just, I guess, advice for people that are thinking about doing a podcast is to follow your advice, which is whatever you actually are and whatever you actually want to be and whatever you actually want to talk about, produce a show that you would listen to right? Like it doesn't matter. Don't, you can't cater to your fans. You have to be exactly who you are and do whatever you want to do and not care. The hardest part about that, I think is knowing that you're going to lose people and allowing that to happen. Have you ever dealt with like that? Just to thinking to myself, well, I know people are going to leave. I know my numbers are going to drop, but I don't care. I'm doing my show. Yeah. I mean, so we had the original show was, um, me, my, my, probably my best friend in the, in life, and then uh, my probably my best friend in the running world, and then this Corey guy. And Corey and, and me had a huge fight. Uh, my, my friend Kat, she couldn't do it anymore because of her job. And my friend Aaron ended up falling in love with a, a girl that replaced the girl that replaced the girl that replaced Kat and moving to Boulder. You know, so every time that that staff that cast of characters changes i think oh someone's not going to like this you know what happened to so and so what happened to so and so and there's been some fights because i here i guess this is a good things i don't i don't like about podcasting i want this to be fun but in order for it to be i want it to be a good product and i can't bring these guys to my house and say come on you got to pay attention you got to shut up and don't drink so much and don't interrupt people and you know like you got to be on time yeah. cuz then it's not fun you know, right. so you, I'm trying to create a vibe and the vibe's got to be fine. Now, at some point, so this, my friend, Aaron, who moved to Boulder with his now wife, Sam, who actually married them. I was the, the, the pastor, I guess. Oh, nice. Because you don't need any any credentials in Boulder to marry people. You could have your dog <laughs> do it. But anyway, 
they so they came on the sh- they were both on the show and then they fell in love and then he had a girlfriend at the time kind of and then there was like a secret thing and I mean it was like a bad vibe in the room and I mean we've been through so many changes you know and those changes I think we're going to lose fans but you know I think they've stayed um because they just like the concept you know but that that has yeah. definitely been a, a kind of a wrinkle in the thing yeah, absolutely. Um, last question about podcasting is just, I know there are people out there because I used to be one of them and maybe you used to be one of them too, that want to start a podcast. They, they have an idea. They think maybe they'd be pretty good at it, but they don't start. And that was me for like a year and a half, two years. What, what can you say to them? I mean, something I would say is number one, the technology has just become so much easier. Like it's back when you started in 15, not that that was that long ago, but I'm sure it was marketably harder to, start a podcast just from a technical perspective. And now it's super easy. But th- for those people that are, are nervous about starting one or have the idea, but just haven't done it yet, what, uh, what advice would you, would you give them? I would just n- think long and hard about what I want to do and why I want to do it. And then just start creating content. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to, you know, like you can, you can learn on the go. The show will change on the go, but I think getting in the habit, it's like, it's like, advising someone about writing the best way to write is just start writing and maybe you throw away what you wrote or maybe you know you write something that's crap but you know there's a lot of people out there that keep saying someday i want to do that or i've always thought i would i want to do a podcast i mean i'm one of them right i have a podcast sitting on my desk right here about frank lloyd wright architecture that i've been I'm ready to launch. I got, I've, I've been paying for the, for the website and all of this. <laughs> and I just haven't sat down and started it yet. You know, and now uh-huh. I have time, but it also involves travel, which is another wrinkle in the whole thing. But, you know, so I'm just, I'm a hypocrite, but just start doing it, you know, but you know, and, and if you don't like it, then just quit right away. But um, it's not something that you, you want to be reluctantly doing or, you know, you can go right. half-assed, you know, just, and, and you put out, you, there's stories about people that, you know, like, let's say we have a friend who is, wants to do one on, you know, quilting. And she, so she starts her quilting podcast. She does 10 episodes and then she just decides she doesn't want to do it anymore. That's still in the universe forever. You know I mean? Yeah, people exactly. People are going to download it long before, long after she quits. Yeah, that's awesome. You're right. Sometimes I get jealous of people that have podcasts in a really small niche because I'm like, dude, they can just dominate that space because there's people that like everything. It doesn't what, matter. What's your what's your what's your niche? Just what interests you? That's what your show is about. It's, yeah, I mean, so I don't I don't know if I ne- I don't know if I necessarily have one, and I don't know if I will have one. What I so my commitment to it was. Number one, I'm going to be authentic, like you like you talked about. So there have been times where it's been really tempting to pretend like I'm a you know you have an ultra runner on, and they're like, "Well, you know how it is," and I'll be like, "No, like I I I get real lazy sometimes, or I start and stop, you know." So I'm trying to number one, I don't want to be fake on here because that would just be exhausting, and eventually it wouldn't be fun. And then number two was just only put out content that I am interested in. Like it's, it's almost the sound selfish. I hope it doesn't come across that way, but it's, it's almost like I'm doing the show for myself. Like I'm talking to people that I want to talk to about things that I want to talk to them about. And my thought on that is just, there's going to be a coalition of people out there that dig it and they'll be interested in it. I guess if I was modeling it after anybody, it'd be more like a rich role type of a, a vibe where it's, it's different people. It's, you know, hopefully it's kind of based in endurance sport, but I'm I'm kind of down to talk to anybody that I find interesting. So I that's I don't necessarily know if I have a uh, 
a niche per se, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't think it matters. I mean, if it's diverse, I mean, I think that like with Rich, I like the diverse shows that he does. Um, yeah. I just sometimes I tune out when it's just, you know, like, how can we improve the political system through plants, you know, or another, you know, like health and wellness through spirituality and yoga guru or, you know, like that kind of stuff. You know, and, and I don't mean to say that, that the subject of vegetarian or veganism in and of itself isn't interesting to me. To the contrary, you know, I've reached out and one of the things on my list of, that I really want to do is have a scientist talk about vegetarianism and veganism uh, because mm-hmm. I've had people that fall into all kinds of other nutritional areas. But sometimes it's, I just, he just like introduces the guests and I'm just like, Ugh, I don't want to listen. But I to- to- it, totally agree with you. In the same way with, with Rogan too. Like he has... Uh, yeah certain guests where I'm just like, I'm not going to have any interest in this. So I'm not going to listen to it. No, same. I, I do find myself with, with, with Rich and Rogan, uh, the same way. Like I, I agree. They're, they're guests, oftentimes guest dependent. Sometimes I'm like, this is amazing. Like I'm in love with this episode. And sometimes I'll turn it off after five, after even as I hear the little blip in the beginning, I'm like, no, I'm not going to like this person and I'll turn it off. So I think that's probably the downside of not having a niche, um, is that part of your audience is not going to vibe with with every episode which i guess there's pros and cons to that i should probably, um, I should probably have him on it someday too come to think of it that, yeah that'd be awesome i mean i think me and him would be good friends because we're Agreed. basically the same age we're both lawyers we're both in recovery you know uh, <laughs> we have friends in common i i you know mishka shivali dave clark that were on there and then um, i sent uh samantha gash to him and said you need to interview her so no kidding you know, yeah, I mean we've talked, but just you know, oh, cool. I think that I think that he's someone that I I don't think that I would ever be good for his show. I think he might be good on my show, but I also I just think like me and him drinking coffee would be fun. To- totally agree. I think you guys are cut from the same cloth, and in a lot of the ways that you guys see the world, and um, I would definitely listen to that episode. That'd be awesome. You ever listen to Making Sense, Sam Harris podcast? I love Sam Harris. I met him. He's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, he was here. Um, here maybe like a a year a year and a half ago with um he's um he's like a physicist that got um he went down in like a b2 thing not okay. not dan dennett oh what the hell is his name he's it'll, it'll come to me later but the two of them yeah. talked they talked a lot about um I want to say free will and AI or something. And, and then mm-hmm. I waited in line to go meet him and my wife thought it was crazy. But the, the, the cool thing was that, so I've met a lot of people and I've met a lot of famous people, but I've never been in a situation with as much security <clears throat> as meeting Sam Harris. And you I can imagine you walk into the room and the lady says, okay, I'm taking your coat. You can't take anything with you other than the book. You have to hold the book like this, open to the page that you want to sign. And you're like, it's like wow. this whole procedure, you know, but it was really nice. <laughs> he's yeah. He's one of my heroes. And uh, it's a shame that he has to have that much security, but given everything that he's, the stances he's taken against religion and not against religion, but I guess to expose religion for some of its, well, I don't, know, I don't want to go down a big rabbit hole in religion, but well, he's, he's, uh, he's Islam, Islamic. Islamic fundamentalism and Islamism, you know, not against Islam itself, you know. His book, Waking Up, was a big one for me. He's one uh, of the smartest people, I think, in the world. And Agreed. he's definitely like when I had my rant the other day about the, two, the current presidential choices, and I was just like, why can't we have somebody like 
Sam Harris or, you know, right. even, even someone like, like uh, Rogan, you know, someone that's just naturally smart, inquisitive, you know, a thinker, you know, open-minded. Sam Harris, he's wrong a lot. He changes his mind a lot. He, you know, he's self-critical. Yeah. That's my main, that's my main criteria. I lean left. Like I'm, I, I voted, I, I typically vote Democrat, but like my main criteria is, is this person highly intelligent and do they have the best interest of the American people in mind? If you have those, two, and are they measured? Are they calm and collected? If you have those things, I'm usually okay with you. I might not agree with everything you do, but that should be like the basic prerequisite to be a contender for the, you know, to be the president. Okay, and so let's, unfortunately, let's take everybody that was in that last field for the Democrat. Mm-hmm. Who of those people do you think most lives up to your criteria? I was a Pete fan. Okay. I was a big fan of Mayor Pete. Um, reason being, he he hits the stuff that I just mentioned, and he just he has an ability. He's a good communicator. He's quick on his feet. He's diplomatic. He doesn't lose his cool. And part of the job of the presidency is you're our representative to the rest of the world. So I want my rep to be impressive. You know, I want them to be able to handle different situations and be cultured. And I really liked, I really liked Pete. Um, I was, I liked Klobuchar for a while. Um, and I think she would have been okay. I don't think she was quite as dynamic as she needed to be. I liked, uh, Kamala Harris for a good bit. Um, I was surprised she didn't do better than she did. She ran a terrible campaign. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, who did you who did you like? Well, I'm I would say I'm conservative, <clears throat> conservative leaning, um, more independent. I think last last election I voted for Gary Johnson, but I would have voted for Bush. I this you know, and it's funny because I've had so many arguments about politics with so many people over the last four years, and. I had a I had a woman on my show. I don't know if you heard it, but uh, Mary Catherine Ham. She no. used to she used to be a Fox News contributor. Now she's on CNN, and she kind of had very similar politics to me, and we kind of connected on this. But so this election, I've given more money to candidates than any than all of the other elections combined, and primarily I gave that money to Kamala Harris because I really liked her. Uh, and I really thought that she had the best chance to beat Trump. I don't know why she, I, I mean, in my mind, if, you know, like if, if she came to me, we could do it all over again. I would say, here's what you need to do. Ignore the fact that Trump exists. Just ignore it. And just talk about things that matter. Talk about things that matter and be reasonable and you'll stand out, you know, cause she's yeah. smart. She's got conviction. Um, mm-hmm. I read her book. I, re- I just, I like her personally. You know, she's, pro- I thought she was one of the most likable people. She's, she's cool and kind of an awkward, like hip mom type way. And, you know, I just thought she was, I liked her a lot. I had a Kamala Harris sign in my front yard and I've probably not voted for a Democrat for president. Uh, maybe ever. So that says a lot, you know, and, and so, you know, to my friends on the other side of the aisle, I would say, don't you want me? Like, <laughs> like, isn't that perfect? If you can find right. a candidate that attracts a person. Now, Mayor Pete, I always felt like I didn't know him enough. Like, I wish he would have went on Rogan. 
or someone would have turned me on to like a four hour discussion of him being right. himself because there wasn't a lot of content out there of Mayor Pete. And I don't think that the debates are fucking bullshit. They're just, I don't, I don't the even know The structure is just so bad. Oh, it's terrible. You can't get to know anybody. No, but sound bites. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely didn't dislike him and Klobuchar. I didn't really feel anything about, I didn't, same thing. I don't think I, I heard any long form conversations with her. But yeah. the other ones like like Biden and Bernie and uh, Bloomberg and I mean even even Warren to some she's a little bit better than those but and look at the, and they're all they're all old they're all old yeah I mean it's, it is it is pathetic that we can't get more dynamic candidates involved I mean but it, there's so much that goes into that but I mean number one a lot of smart people like Sam Harris would never want to be president just because you're it's th- that life would suck in a lot of ways um and he would never make it because he's an atheist which is really unfortunate but it is unfortunate when you end up looking at some of the people we get left with that this is the choice that we have to make um you know I, given the choice I'm certainly going to vote for Biden I'm not like a massive I wasn't like rooting for Biden all through the primaries but at this point I really hope people that would the people that don't want to vote for Trump, maybe a Republican, somebody in the middle that doesn't like Trump, but also doesn't like the Democratic candidate, I hope they'll vote for the Democratic candidate and not just write in a name. Because if you just write in a name, it's not as bad as a vote for Trump, but it's let's at the end of the day, you have two choices to make. This is in my opinion. And you got to pick which one is better out of the two. Is that the same way you see it? Or if you don't like either, will you not vote for anybody? I mean, so last time I was in the same dilemma, right? I, did, I mean, Hillary was terrible, and the only person worse than her was Trump, you know? <laughs> and so, and like, exactly. so Biden, Trump, I mean, I guess I just, I can't believe there's, there's 300 million people that this is the best we have. You know, they're both cognitively impaired, they're both. You know, they, they got some sexual problem for sure. You know, I mean, they're they're really old. <laughs> I loved Tulsi Gabbard. Loved her. I thought yeah, she, would have she seemed good. Mm-hmm. No, I liked her. I, I agree. I mean, I, I want somebody more dynamic. I just feel like Biden is a better choice than Trump. So that's who I'll who I'll vote for. But that's we live in America. So you, you think he's have, going? Nobody. He's going to be the candidate. Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't think he's going to make it. I was going to say, unless he gets, you know, God forbid, like if he gets sick or something. But yeah, I think if everything stays the same, he'll he'll for sure be the candidate. This is going to be on the I don't know. forever. So I'm going to I'm going to say right now, it's going to be Cuomo or Clinton, one or the other. Really? Not going to be Biden. So do you think? Are you saying if something happened, like if if something happened where Biden couldn't be the candidate, or you think he? W- I mean, because if you look at the delegates, I mean, there's nothing like he's. Who else could you know? He's it'd be him, right? He's got mush brain. He can't do it. He can't. I mean, his his brain's mushier than Trump's. I'm not saying that he's not a better person, probably by a magnitude of ten, but he's not there. There's something wrong with him. You think so? I mean, you think clinically, like there's you. You're, yeah. you're not saying like, oh, I think he's kind of goofy. You're saying you think there's clinically, like medically, something wrong. He's with got him. that look like the dog has right before it reaches the point where it's looking at you and wishing that you put it to sleep. I mean, he's just kind of like a little bit, like it doesn't know. He doesn't know where he is. Nah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not there yet. I, I, I like I respect your opinion, obviously, but 
I don't know. I, man. I, I can't ever imagine vote for Trump. And I think I would probably, yeah. if the election was tomorrow, I'd, pro- I'd probably write in Tulsi. But I mean, <laughs> it also depends. I mean, we're going to find out if I'd say if less than 100,000 people die from the coronavirus, it's not going to matter. I think Trump's going to win. If if uh, if this thing gets any worse, Trump's going to lose. So, yeah, I think, it's going to be interesting. But I did like Tulsi. I think she got a bad rap. Yeah, I agree. I, I was kind of surprised why she fizzled out the way that she did. I, th- I thought she seemed really strong. Um, but no, it's good. Uh, Cuomo seems, I mean, I'm like, he's, he will certainly be in line to run if, you know, next, next time. I think he's made a pretty amazing name for himself. And people remember, you know, just like people remembered Rudy, even though it was probably not accurate, they remembered Rudy from 9 11 as being kind of this, this hero. And, I think we will look at at Cuomo the same way. Which, the guy in California you know, seems to be doing a good job too. Except they did the marathon. Did they really? Yeah, they had the LA marathon like March, like the the first weekend of March. Oh my god! Like right after the story broke, at the time that Seattle was locked down, I think they were running the LA marathon. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, it seems like they got. Yeah. I talked to a girl in San Diego. She said they got like under a hundred deaths. Yeah, not very many cases at all. Let's get into let's get into your story a little bit. Let's go into. I want to know because I think of you as a podcaster first, but you're you're a runner. I mean, you're you've you've you kind of mocked yourself. I was reading through your um, kind of your summary on your podcast today, but you were kind of making fun of yourself. But you've actually you've actually completed some pretty serious ultra races. Take us through kind of your your resume, so to speak, on uh, on ultras and, and you a little bit as a runner. Sure. Ultras I got into um, after I got married. I kind of I was a marathoner, a very bad marathoner before I got married. And then I wanted to run some more. I read this book by Mishka Shibali called The Long Run about a guy who um, got sober through running. And he did it by running a 50 miler. Now, I had already been sober, you know, 20 years at the time I read this book. But uh, for some reason, I really connected with the idea of running 50 miles and said, maybe I could do that. So I started to train and learned about trails and joined a local ultra group, started doing fat ass runs with them. And they would do these like TGIF runs on Friday nights where we'd run 50 K through the night and um, just like deep, deep into ultra culture, podcasts, books, you know, everything that, that the new guy does. And I found a few people in the Chicago scene that um, had been running a long, long time and started running with them and asking them everything and crewing and pacing and just you know trying to learn everything i could about the sport because what i really fell in love with was the people and the culture you know that that's what kept bringing me bringing me back and that um i remember one of the things early that influenced me was that i ran my first 50 miler was the north country 50 in michigan and afterward everyone congratulated me and nobody asked me what my time was and i thought like that's a different vibe. Now that's changed a little bit in the sport since then, but you know, it was a totally different approach to running and a totally different kind of people. And a lot of people that were also sober or in recovery, uh, as well as a lot of drinkers too, obviously. But um, I just I fell in love with the culture and then just went deep, deep, deep. Um, my friend Alfredo, who also uh, unfortunately died from ALS a few years later. He and I started training. We did uh, our first 100 in 2000. I went from 50 miles in 2000, 
2011, I want to say, to my first 100 and I want to say 2012 or 13. And then I did another one that same year and learned about winter ultras about that time, started to explore that and just wanted to do everything and anything. I just loved it. It's funny. Like it's funny the perceptions you can have of somebody before you actually get to know them. Like whenever, because you mentioned um, getting sober, I thought of you as like this party guy, you know, like you're, you're, you're up for, right. But I thought I I associated that with alcohol because that's how I always used to associate partying was with alcohol. And you guys talk about alcohol. And I was like, man, I was like, I'd really like to hang out with these guys and do one of their races. But I was like, they probably think I'm boring. You know, like I, they're like all about the, you know, the booze and this. And then I was preparing for this show and I heard you on training for ultra. And I think he asked you about like, you know, some beers that you like, and you had mentioned that, you know, you don't, you don't drink anymore. I wouldn't have thought that about you. Like I, I had you pegged as somebody that likes to, you know, kick back a few beers. Are you, are you willing to kind of get into, um, you know, what happened, like how it was, you know, back then and, and what happened and oh, sure. kind of like your journey with alcohol? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I grew up in, I grew up in Milwaukee. I, nobody really drinks like they do in Milwaukee. And my, uh, my grandpa worked for the brewery. Uh, there's just a, a lot of beer in my family. And I had one of those like German influenced families where we drank beer from, from as early. I mean, there was never a time when you couldn't drink beer. You know, I used to always say that, you know, we used to get a beer when we mowed the lawn and my sister mowed the lawn a lot, but I didn't <laughs> because I didn't really like the taste of beer until I discovered that it, uh, had a very, very good it had a, a unique power to deaden my feelings of inferiority uh especially mm-hmm. when it came to girls and so in high school i developed this pattern of drinking and doing drugs too much so that uh, i didn't have to face the the ugly demons and voices in my head uh at the same time uh, my father was a notorious pedophile in our community he was he ended up being the boy scout leader that sexually abused everybody including me so i had like a double life of you know the nuclear family with the mom and the mom was the head of the pta and the dad was the scout master but in the background of all that i'm using drugs and alcohol and being sexually abused and then eventually my dad ends up getting arrested and goes to jail and uh, ended up doing i want to say like 15 years for uh sexually abusing a whole bunch of kids it wasn't me that was part of the charges so I had a very unusual and uh, somewhat torturous childhood, uh, and I used alcohol to turn off a, a lot of the other voices in my head and uh, didn't really ever come to grips with what had happened to me until I got sober. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't know that I wouldn't have become an alcoholic anyway, but uh, all of those things kind of created this really, really terrible environment that results in me ending up having to quit drinking and uh, go to 12-step meetings when I was 21. So my last drink was my 21st birthday. And uh, so when I was 21, I, I um, gave it up. I didn't, in my mind, now understand I was, I was going, to, going to college under the influence of LSD. Uh, I was taking every drug that you could ever imagine. I had a, what I would call a disease of more. Whatever the question is, the answer was more. And uh, I would, you know, use cocaine. I would use pharmaceutical drugs, pot, 
morphine, everything. I didn't know if <laughs> this is what well, I shouldn't say that in retrospect, this, this was what I was thinking at the time. I didn't know if it was getting in the way of where I wanted to go in life, but it certainly wasn't helping. So I decided to try life without it. And as, as you do, when you give up all of those things, all of the stuff that you've been tamping down in your, in your head with alcohol starts to come to fruition. And then you realize yeah. that you're completely screwed up and, you know, get fixed. So that, that was like the beginning of my journey. And, and I've been continuously sober since September, 1992. Wow. Well, first, firstly, I'm sorry to hear what, what happened between you and your dad. That's uh, obviously very sad. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that maybe have gone through similar situations. And when they hear someone like yourself, who's accomplished and is successful and confident and that they hear that you've gone through something that traumatic, I, I guarantee that would, would help people. So appreciate you having the courage to talk about that. And I would agree with you. I quit drinking back in 2013 and, and I was the same way. I thought all of my problems were caused by drinking. And then once I stopped, I was like, <laughs> Well, there's still a bunch of stuff here that, <laughs> that I'm still screwing up. But I think what it does is it gives you the ability to see your problems clearly. And you start to go, oh, okay, that's still here. That's obviously a problem that I was just, like you said, tamping down with alcohol. And now you, it, with being sober, you have the option to fix it. You know, you have the ability to start doing some things about your problems instead of making them worse. Well, what they say um, in the 12 steps is uh, alcohol is just a symptom of the disease. Exactly. Exactly. It really is. Even if you don't think it is like for me, I wouldn't have been able to pinpoint what I was repressing, but it was more just like, uh, like you, once I got into high school and started drinking, I was like a party animal. I was the life of the party. And then I kind of took on the identity of the party guy in college. And my friends loved having me around because I was the guy that was the first one to start drinking and the last one to stop. And so I don't know what I was repressing, but I think it was just this thing that allowed me to just be completely social and completely accepted and fun and everybody loved having me around. And then now I'm not really like that. I mean, I've got like my core friends and if I'm having a conversation with somebody about things that I think are interesting, then it's great, but I'm not going to go to a party and be the life of the party by any means where back in the day I, I would have. Um, so yeah, alcohol does something for us, but it's like, it is, it is most definitely the symptom. And for me, maybe the symptom was the problem was like just social unease or social anxiety, but it's weird. But when you stop, you really can see things more clearly. Was there like a moment that made you kind of come to come to grips with all of it and say, I need to, I need to knock this off. I think there was one, I remember there's, it's going to sound dumb because it, it doesn't make sense, but there was one day that I went to, I was in college and I was under the influence of LSD and I had to go to the bathroom really bad. And I didn't want to get up in front of the whole class, you know, because then everybody's going to see you. You got to walk through the whole class to go to the bathroom. But I did anyway. And then when I got back to my seat, I immediately had to go to the bathroom again. And, and I thought, mm -hmm. this can't be happening. And like, I went to the bathroom again. And then I just took my books with me. I never went back to class. I might have never gone back to college at that point, too. Um, yeah. but I remember looking in the mirror and I was just like, I got this long hair and beard and I, I haven't, I got like this dirty tie dye shirt on. And I just kind of looked in the mirror and thought, you know, where are you going? You know, like what, how's this going to end? And, um, yeah, that, that's what got me thinking along the lines of maybe it's time for me to, you know, mm -hmm. take a break. 
Yeah, it is funny the way that you look at yourself. I used to think to myself, I'm going to be the guy that's at the end of the bar at 60 years old that's just the old crotchety drunk guy at the end of the bar. Like I know that's where I'm going. I also know at some point I'm going to get arrested or I'm going to kill somebody driving my car or kill myself or be in the hospital. But when you're when you're an alcoholic, when you're abusing alcohol, you I had those thoughts and I was okay with like I was at peace with that at, at certain points where it was like, yeah, that's what's going to happen to me, but I'm not going to stop doing it. That's not an option. Like so I'm just going to be I never that had guy, that. You know? I, I was kind of really? the opposite. Yeah, because I was working in a bar. You know, I, I, I worked in a bar for the first four years I was sober. But I, I remember I was working with another guy, a cook. We both cooked together. And he was like maybe 10 years older than me. So I would have been 21. He would have been 31. And I remember him talking about, I want to get back to college. And I remember looking at me just thinking, dude, you're never going back to college. You know, like I got to get out of here. You know, this, this is like a dead end. So I don't, I, I, I did not see that, that coming. I didn't want to be that person for sure. I think that I just, I just liked, I mean, I just, I just liked getting fucked up. You know, I just really, really (laughs) liked it. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't change. I'm still, I would have a hard time not being the life of the party. I still, I Mm -hmm. still pretty much am, but, um, Yeah, I just I just like I like drinking, you know. It's it's fun. I think that's an important thing for people to realize that, you know, that I'm, we're kind of speaking to maybe hopefully there's some people out there that maybe are struggling with this. So, you know, talking to them directly is like I agree. I will say for sure, you know, having not drank in I guess coming up on either 6 or 7 years, it's like it's fun. It's a blast. I guarantee you, I could go to the local bar if we weren't in, you know, Coronaville, I could go to the local bar and I would have the time of my life for 10 or 11 hours. I'm we're not saying it's not fun to get messed up. It's it's a great time. But for people like myself and possibly people like you, it comes with uh, great cost. And so at some point you have to weigh the good and the bad and go, is this a net positive or is this a net negative? And you know, I struggled for a long time going back and forth with do I have a problem? Do I not have a problem? For me, that was the most painful part of it was like figuring out, do I need to stop or do I need to cut back? Or is it just that I'm not happy in my life? Or, And typically, if you're having those conversations with yourself, uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you might have a problem. No, it's just, it's just funny because I, I, I interviewed a, a girl, uh, a local girl to us who, who quit drinking and she didn't necessarily think she was an alcoholic but she's telling her story and how she you know she had allergies and she was overweight and she couldn't get her shit together and and then then she just quit drinking not because she was an alcoholic but just to see what would happen and and then like she got healthy she lost weight she fell in love mm-hmm. she got her life together and and i remember we were having this discussion and i just said to her don't you realize that that's not normal like normal people when they quit drinking everything doesn't get better in their life. You know? <laughs> exactly. Like that's a sign. There's, I mean, uh, Eric from Ultra Runner Podcast, he, I don't think he'll listen to this and he, you know, if he gets mad, sorry, Eric, but he quit drinking, <laughs> you know, and, and he talks about how there's so many good things that have happened since he quit drinking. But then when you go, but I don't know if I had a problem, you know, like, or what will happen right. is somebody will be in an AA meeting, you know, and they'll say, I'm just here to check it out. I don't know if I have a problem, I'm, you know, and I feel like, I don't say it, but I feel like just looking at it and saying, you're at a goddamn AA meeting, you know? <laughs> like nobody comes to AA. 
who doesn't like it's, it's not like well i my drinking's great but i'm just gonna stop at aa and just see you know like like that's a sign that you have a problem if you're at an aa so- meeting checking it out like nobody goes to to the methadone program and says i just want to see what happens here unless they you know that's- they're hooked on heroin that's so funny you say that because I went I went to some AA meetings when I first started to try to quit. A friend of mine that didn't drink anymore recommended it, and I went and talking to the people there, it's amazing. So if you if you do think you have an issue, you think you might have an issue, go to a meeting. And this guy, it was just, it was the same thing triggered my mind when you said that. Is I was talking to a guy afterwards, and I was like, you know, I don't know, man. I was like, I don't know if I really have a problem. I don't really want to quit. I might just be. And he's like, you know what, man? He's like, typically people that have a good relationship with alcohol, don't find themselves in church basements talking to guys like me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Yeah. It's like, this is look at, look around, man. Look where you are. This is where the people that have a drinking problem go. And the funny thing too, is when I would sit in those meetings, cause I didn't talk in my first few, but every time somebody talked, no matter who it was, I was like, yep, yep, yep. That's me. That's me. That's me. That makes sense. I'm on the same page with this guy. I mean, none of it was foreign to me. I left there thinking those people are exactly like me. I didn't leave there going, oh, wow, I'm actually fine. I was like, yeah, this is, uh, I belong in this group. This See, is- and now you want to know something ironic, and I've been going to AA meetings for 20, you know, 28 years now, is that I had the exact opposite experience. But keep in mind, I got sober in Milwaukee at 21 <laughs> in 1992. Yeah. So I'm, at a, I'm in a church basement. Of a, I'm in a basement of a church on a Monday morning at 9 a.m. The average age is like 153, you know, and and I'm just looking around at these. And you got to be in 1992. There weren't what we call high bottom drunks. Like, I mean, I'm sure there were, but the average alcoholic was like pretty much a low on the scale. You know, like they like nowadays. There's there's people that go to AA because they you know they start to they start to think they're going down the path and they had a dad that was an alcoholic, you know, like the, back yeah. then it was, I just got out of jail. I just got out of the institution. You know, I, the doctor says I'm going to lose my foot, you know, whatever. But <laughs> I just remember looking around and being like, Oh my God, if I had your problems, you know, like this is, this is terrible. But uh, yeah, if you keep yeah. going, you know, and, and to people that want to know more about sexual abuse or my story of recovery and things like that. There is a long form interview of me. That's very, very uncomfortable, but where we go deep into all of those issues. If you want to hear more about that for some reason, it's in the 10 junk. Yeah. Where that's in the 10 junk miles library. Okay. Not that I don't want to talk to you about it now either, but I'm just saying that we did go pretty deep into all that too. No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sometimes if I'm being honest, I don't know how to approach that because I don't know if it's painful for you or if it's like something that you think is good to talk about. Like maybe you can just help me and other people when someone says something like that. For me, it's very heavy, and I'm I, I very much appreciate that that you said that. You know, so when I say it's heavy, I don't mean in a bad way. I just mean like it makes me feel for you, not in a looking down on you way, but like connected to you. Like shit, that's that's tough. Like that must have that must have been really fucking hard. Well, um, but at the same so time, I wondered. Yeah, how you feel about talking about it and stuff? I mean, I mean, I've been working on it for thirty years, so I mean, at this point, you know, I can go like if you said to me, 
if you call me up tomorrow and you're like, hey, listen, my kid's high school wants to hear somebody talk about sexual abuse. We, I mean, I could go talk to anybody. But I don't, you know, my life's an open book. I don't, it, it sucks that like my other family members have to hear this, you know, because they're kind mm-hmm. of, some of them are still have a connection with him, but um, sure. I don't, I don't have any problem talking about it at all. And, you know, like I, sometimes I hesitate a little, but the reason why it always tips in favor of bringing it up is that. Someone is going to listen to this podcast and they're going to send me a message on Facebook that it happened to them too. And they've never told anybody that every time I go to a AA meeting and I include that part of my story, someone takes me aside afterwards and says, I've never told anyone this before. You know, and, and to me, you know, regardless of if it hurts someone, if it makes someone feel uncomfortable, if someone doesn't want to hear it or whatever, that guy that's, you know, I got an email after the one that we did for my show, you know, he's like, I'm sitting on my tractor in the middle of the field and I'm crying, listening to this. And I just admitted to myself that it happened to me too. And I don't know what, you know, that guy, that makes up wow. for everything. So to me, yeah. you know, like whatever the, whatever the downside is, who gives a shit, you know, uh, because in... And I'm, and I'm sure I'll get some shit for this, but whatever. We don't talk about guys being sexually abused by guys. We don't talk about that. And I don't know why. And when we talk about sexual abuse or rape and things like that, it's always in the context of a man on a woman. And I always feel marginalized in those conversations. you know. And I think that we need more people to come out and talk about it because yeah. – when we when we talk about rape and when we talk about sexual abuse, we need to talk about it as every a problem that affects everybody. And I don't like the fact that and, and it's not I don't women aren't doing this to men are doing it to themselves. I don't like the fact that men are afraid to come out and say these things happen to them because you know you're a fucking kid. You don't I mean you don't know any better. Like you know it's right. You know, but people should feel you know I, and there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of guys out there that don't want to talk about. it. Do you remember the first time that you came out and and talked about it? And did you feel any pressure as a man to not bring it up? No, I think that, I mean, I have the, maybe it's the good fortune or the bad fortune, but of making that part of my recovery story. So when I uh, was the speaker at a 12-step meeting and I probably told my story at, you know, 500 12-step meetings, that that's always been a part of my story. It's just, it's one of those things. It's like, I didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing for me to be ashamed of. And it might be helpful to another alcoholic or at this point, another human being. So, you know, it's not painful to talk about. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I I don't mind talking about it. One of the questions I, I have about it is, I always think, you know, when, when someone's a kid, they're obviously going through a developmental stage. Like it's, it's much more traumatic for something to happen to a child than it is to an adult because they're, they're still learning about what the world is and what their mom and dad are. And and mom and dad are such a big part of their life, right? Like your dad is everything you live with your dad, like you're, that's your dad. So when, when something like that happens to you as a kid, I'm always just curious what that does to a child's mind because as somebody that hasn't lived through that like it's impossible for me to know because i haven't experienced it but i'm just curious if you and maybe you don't remember maybe i don't know but like what did that do to you as a as a, a kid like wh- what did your mind go through how did that change the way you viewed life well it, i mean i can't speak to other people because all i the only experience i know is my own but i know that 
for me that these encounters were things that I would block out of my mind after it happened. So like, for example, let's say that like the night before, you know, my, my dad, he was a musician. So let's say he would come home at like two in the morning and he would go to the bathroom. And then after, before he went to bed, he would molest me or, you know, do something to me in the morning. I wasn't sitting on the school bus thinking, oh, what am I going to do about this situation? It never happened, you know? Like it's not something and, and I don't I don't know the medicine behind it, but it's not something that here's a here's a good thing. So this happens to me from let's say the time I'm four until the time I'm maybe sixteen, okay? Probably repeatedly, you know, constantly, my whole life. When I'm eighteen, my dad gets arrested for doing this, goes to jail, and I'm fighting with the sheriff's office that they should let him out uh, and not hold him on bail because there's no way that he could have done this. I'm fighting the Boy Scout leaders and saying, you guys are liars. He would never do this. You know? Wow. That's how your brain, you know, and, and I wasn't like, fighting with people and saying, no way did he do this? And, and thinking in, you know, the back of my head, but wait a second, you know, he did it to me. Not at all. Right. I mean, that's how your brain, when something, I mean, I, I shouldn't say yours or anybody else's, my brain blocks that out. And it's not until I come to grips with it and go to therapy and start talking about it, start kind of unpacking, you know, and then I start to realize that, oh yeah, I did spend like, you know, a lot of my childhood screaming in my closet and shaking and curled up as a ball and no one came and saved me. And I have all these like issues and you know, like my childhood was so fucked up, but I didn't know at the time, you know, and I wasn't conscious of the fact that this had happened, you know? So it's, it's just so weird, you know, it's like a, yeah. it's like a split that kind of happens. But, but if, if you would have given me a lie detector test in the, when I was 18 years old, I believe that I would have passed with flying colors and said, he's never done this to me and he would never do it to anyone. You know, that's really? what my brain said. Wow, man, that's, <clears throat> that's very interesting. Like it's, it's obviously sad and it's also just interesting from a, like the way that, that the human mind works to, because there's obviously something in you that did that, like something, some kind of a survival mechanism or something that was able to car compartmentalize that because maybe it was just too much to process. Yeah, I'm sure there's like age. a, a medical know. reason for it. I'm, I bet you, you know, if yeah. you had some child shrink in here, he would say uh, either, you know, well, Coomer's full of shit or <laughs> something. But yeah, it's just, it's a really weird thing. You're obviously a very smart guy and you're an intellectual guy and you're a curious person. Like, do you ever think about how it, affects your life now? Like, have you given thought to, or, or noticed anything like, Oh, I might, maybe I do this or that because of this, or obviously the, the drinking and the drugs and stuff, but like even now everyday life in the last you know 10 or 15 years, have you noticed that it's had a, a an effect or is it not something that you could actually pinpoint? Uh, that I could connect to that. Not that I can think of. Um, Cause you seem like a very well adjusted, I don't know you very well, you know, obviously, but like just through your podcast and you seem like a very well adjusted guy. I mean, you, you're, 
and so it's it's incredible and i you know like i'm I glad about okay that. you know for a guy that yeah. i should have been dead you know i'm you know i, yeah. I got a law degree and you know i, I own a business yeah and, you know, like things things turned out okay yeah no it's impressive man like i, I take my hat off to you man because like that's obviously lots have gone through and i really appreciate you sharing it with me and it's just impressive. I just look at you like that's an impressive guy. Like fuck, I wish I had half of the like. It makes me think, what am I compl- like? What am I? What would I ever have to complain about? Like that guy's been through some shit, and he's 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 good. You know, he's he's going through life. And well, I, don't I, know. Do, just, I that, do think, yeah, I do think going through shit. I, I think that. I mean, maybe this. I don't know if this is the answer to the to the last question or not. But when I talk about the guy on the tractor that sends me the email, or you know, the person that, you know, comes to me and asks me to help them get sober, or the person that wants to do a podcast, or whatever the case may be, in terms of my life, I, I feel to some extent like starting in 1992, I started living on borrowed time. You know, like I have mm-hmm. I have a life today that's better in every relevant aspect than the life that I used to drink over not having. You know, that if you would have gone to me and, you know, like I, I always tell new people to to um, 12 step programs that, you know, like if there's one thing I wish I would have did is to just write out like what it was I wanted for my life. And it would have been so much less than what I have, you know, wow. like, like it's a, when we say in the program that we have a life beyond our wildest dreams. You know, I was a guy that like when I first got sober, I, I wanted to clean my car out. My car was like a like a trash heap. And I, I made it my goal every and this is how screwed up my life was. Every day I was gonna clean out it took me maybe six weeks to finally get to the point where I took the initiative to clean my car out. That's how unmanageable my life was, you know? And to go from that to, you know, uh, people who are trusting me with their, you know, five million dollar company or that they might go to jail or that, you know, like like all kinds, you know, the podcast and you know, race directing, I mean just all the things in my life. It's it's way beyond that. And so here's the metric. Impact. Impact is the most important thing to me. I want to impact the world in a positive way. And when I hear that someone got something out of the podcast or the race or my story or what I'm telling you, that that to me means that I'm living the good life, that I'm I'm impacting everything around me in a way that makes people better. That's what I really want to do. And that is the metric by which I make the decision to podcast, put on a race, uh, tell a joke, make a Facebook post, you know, that it's, it's, that's the most important thing to me now. I don't care about anything other than that. That's beautiful, man. And what else is there really? Like we're all, we're all down here together. We don't really know how we got here. We don't really know what happens when we die. We just know we're down here together right now. And all there really is, is experience. And if you can if you can contribute positively to the experience of another person or take some pain away from them or provide some value or make them feel like you understand them or you've give them something to listen to and be excited about there's nothing i mean it's immeasurable right like i've got a tiny show but i have had a few people that have messaged me and said hey man i really like the show or that was really great or and it's like you light up inside i feel like i'm you know you light up like a christmas tree like there's there's really no feeling like it i can imagine 
at your level where you're getting, you know, probably a lot of these. And like you said, the guy on the tractor, like some really impactful stories, like there's really nothing better, right? It's just, it's just the best feeling in the world. Well, and the, the really cool thing is, well, and I, I didn't feel this way when I started doing the podcast, you know, this is something that's, I mean, and I should also preface this with I'm lucky because I have a roof over my head and I'm not going to want for food. You know, like I have everything taken care of, you know, so that that helps. First of all, we didn't do this show to impact anyone. We did, we did this because we thought there was a good idea that give people some money to run with when they don't have anyone else to run with. That's it. We didn't think about anything other than that. Um, but at some point then I get, uh, I remember the emails from, from Kyle Gilman who had weighed over 400 pounds. And he said, I don't know how I found your podcast. I just randomly found it. I started walking and I listened to your podcast while I walked. And I walked a mile and I walked two miles. I walked three miles and then I ran a mile. And then the next thing you know, I lost 200 pounds and ran my first 50K. And I just want you to know it's all because of you guys. And I read this and it made me cry. I read this email. I'm like, oh my God, like we we got to keep doing this, you know, like, like even if it just, I mean, and, and I don't agree that it's because of us, it's because of him, obviously, but the fact that I could have any role in someone finally telling their wife that they were sexually abused or finally taking that step and quitting drinking or, or finally, you know, getting in shape or, and then I always get that ran my first, my first marathon, my first 50 K, my first 50 mile, my first hundred mile, you know, I, you know, people that have gone on and done things, way beyond what I've ever dreamed of, like Jeff Rock or whoever, you know, that went and did the Iditarod, to have any role in them, that journey. It's just, and, and that's just a few, you know, like when we, when we put on the race, people cross the finish line and they cried and they hugged us and said, I, you guys caused this. I couldn't have did this without you. You guys were the reason why, you know, and you're just like, oh my God, you know, like. Yeah. And some people need some people need that. They need someone to give them permission to go do something. It's amazing. Like, and you probably hear this too, that people just underestimate themselves so greatly. You know, I'll hear people say things like, well, I'm just a, I'm just a mom that likes to run or, and it's like, no, you're not. You're a beast. You know, you're a, you're a fucking beast and you're, you're capable of incredible things and you can do that. Like you can be out there and, and crush these things. Like you're not just some guy that's going to work and no, you can be a stud. Like you have that inside of you. Everybody has that inside of them. And I think hearing podcasts like yours, where you're not just interviewing the, the, not just the best of the best. And you're telling, giving everybody permission to say, you can be an ultra runner. You can go run hundred mile races. You can do it with what you have right now within nine months, probably to a year. Like you can, you can do it. Right, like I feel like that's a big part of the message that your the community you've built is an inclusive community that says it doesn't matter if you're 250 pounds or 350 pounds or 160, you can you can be part of what we have going on here. But then there's another part. It's that you can fail. It's that I have had more public, complete, humiliated failures than anybody that I know on the internet. Like you, it would be hard for you to find someone. I've DNF <laughs> every distance all the way down to a marathon. And I've done it in front of all of 10 junk miles nation. Uh, all of the, inter- and when you're a public person to some extent, usually it's the other, usually it's 
oh, guess what? You know, so-and-so just DNF the race. <laughs> but with me, this is what I think. I go and let's say, you know, I uh, go do the Arrowhead 135 and I, and I just, I give up. Like I'm out 35, I quit, you know? And everybody sees it. And I post that I'd quit or that I'd dropped out or that whatever. And then people see that and they say, why am I afraid to go run this 50K? Look at this asshole. Mm. He is <laughs> blowing up in front of the whole world. He DNF'd a marathon in front of the whole world. And I'm afraid that I might not finish this 50K. Well, fuck it. I'm going to go run, you know? And then I think about that too. That, that even me failing can be impactful because the message is you don't have to finish everything. You don't have to be a, we're not gladiators. We're not, I'm not a professional runner. You know, it's okay if I fail. And the idea that you, you know, there are so many people that are afraid to do, they're afraid to start podcasts or afraid to start a business or, or, or afraid to start a race because they're afraid of failing. And you know what? It's failing. It doesn't mean anything. You just go do it. You're so right, man. And I feel that pressure too. If just having a very small podcast, like I was signed up for a 50 K next week and they ended up getting canceled, but I was like, shit, like I need to do well in this race. You know, I need to have some kind of heroic effort because maybe people think I'm this guy. And what I like that you're saying, you didn't know you don't, you don't need to do that. You just go run the race. And even in failing, even if placing in the bottom quarter of the race, you're letting other people know that that's okay too. You can get out there and go do things. And you're right. It is. Everybody's so afraid of failure because we all think everybody's looking at us, you know? And if you're a public person like yourself, maybe they are looking at you, but everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And there's so many things that people miss out on because they're afraid to, to fail. And it sounds cliche, but it's like, it's the truth. Like, what would you do if you didn't care? Not that, not that if you knew you couldn't fail, but if you did, just didn't give a shit, like, keep, keep doing your thing. doesn't matter, right? Just keep doing what you want to do and your life will be markedly better. And I'm not saying there haven't been times when I felt like a fraud because here I am being the, you know, the famous podcaster and, you know, I haven't finished this race or, you know, I failed at my last couple hundreds or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. But at the same time, and there certainly are some people that really, really don't like me and, you know, that, get really happy when I fail. But overwhelmingly, I think that, you know, again, it's it's impact, you know, that if I can if I can show people that you can face like you don't have to be afraid of failing. You might fail. I mean, I might fail. I mean, sure, but you don't have to be afraid of it because it's just I mean, I, and I'm afraid of failing at, you know, being a good husband or, you know, yeah. staying sober, or, you know, like things that matter, but I mean, ultra marathons I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny because now, especially with this coronavirus thing, like we feel like ultra minutes and just given the gravity of some of the topics that we've been talking about today, like it does make ultra running seem like this is just something we do. It's not, it's not life or death, but you know, in normal times, like you do, people do tend to think this is part of my identity. You know, this is part of who I am. Way too I need much. to do well. Yeah, it totally. It's, it's, if you start to make something part of your identity, then you can't fail because if you fail, you lose yourself. Part of you doesn't exist. You can't have that, right? Like philosophically, and I think you, I heard on another podcast that you have a pretty big interest in like Eastern philosophy and things. What do you think? Because ultra, ultra marathon running is, 
is largely mental, right? Like the, the physical body matters in it, but it's there's a huge mental component. How would you relate, you know, some Eastern philosophies like Buddhism and non-attachment and things like that into ultra running? And do you incorporate that into your own ultra running? Well, I think the way I mean the way that I think about life, you know, is a little bit more Eastern, a little bit more, you know, like I, I definitely think about things like, you know, like the idea in um, Hinduism, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a school, there's obviously a, a, a dualistic school, but there's also like a, like a, a school of thought in Advaita Vedanta where it's just, we all might be part of just one thing, like complete non-distinctualism, you know? And to me that, that's an interesting thing to think about when you're struggling. It's hard to struggle against or because of something if you're a part of it, you know? And that's, mm, I mean, yeah. maybe everybody's got to hit pause and go smoke a joint, come back and listen to it. But, you know, just <laughs> like big picture, you know, like what, you know, if I'm part of that, how can that be causing me pain or how could that be causing me to hurt, you know, or, or just, you know, trying to think, you know, big picture. Think about, you know, my life as a whole. I, I like that. Now, I mean, just to make that a little more concrete for people, like that's not just some esoteric thing to say. I mean, if you think about, if you go back and, and look through the, the history of the earth, there was a time when there weren't any people on it. There were a time when there weren't any land animals on it. Like we all kind of came out of the same organisms, right? Like there were, we, it started out as just basically plant matter and like single-celled organisms and eventually things evolved and the you know, stuff came out of the water and started to get on land. And we all, we all came from the same stuff is what I'm getting at. So when you say that we're all part of the same thing, it's, it's not just something you say, like that's, there is some reality to that. And I mean, we're seeing it right now with Corona. When you, when you go against nature, you go against yourself. Like we're, we're seeing people dying because we're not acting in alignment with we're connected to everything. So uh, th this is a very hard topic because I'm not Sam Harris, but I'm trying to really kind of break it down for people that maybe haven't looked into this stuff as, as deeply, but how do you, how do you use that in everyday life? Like how does that manifest itself? The, the viewpoint that you have that we're all kind of part of the same thing. Well, it's just something to keep in mind. You know, I mean, it's like the, the way that you treat people, the way that you live your life, you know, it's, I'm not a religious person, ironically. Uh, I, I, I concentrated in uh, religious and Eastern religious uh, studies for philosophy 30 years ago, by the way. But, um, you know, it's never been, religion's never been a part of my life, but it's always been something that I've been fascinated with. So, like, like when I interview someone that's religious, I always want to get them to talk about it because because everyone's afraid to talk about it. And, uh, I think it's interesting. I, I like when I when I meet people that are deeply religious and have a strong faith. I, I don't think they're dumb, and I don't think that there's something wrong with their thinking. I, I'm fascinated. Like I wish I had that. Like it, it would really come in handy right now. I think you know for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some value in religion, but I think it's the value in religion exists in terms of things that can exists without religion as well, right? Like, like a lot of religion will tell you to, when you pray you, they, you know, they'll say things like give it up to God. Right. But that could also just be said in the way of do what you can and accept anything that comes as a result. Like uh, you don't necessarily need the religious bit to make it work. Does that make sense? Right. Well, that, I mean, that's 
kind of 12 step ish, right? I mean, acceptance is the answer to all my problems. If I, you know, if I find myself complaining about a person or a place or a thing or something that exists in the universe that I have no control over, that's just, that's just a waste. You know, like what I can do is keep my side of the street clean, do the next right thing and leave the results up to, and then we always throw in the word God. But you know, what that means is everything except me, basically. Although technically, if we're all part of one thing, I would be included in that. But just to help me get my head straight, you know, a lot of times what I have to say is, I've done everything I can. I have no control over that. I just have to let it be, you know, and just see what comes. Yeah. If you had to coach an ultra runner, let's say you got to design an ultra runner and you could either give them a high ego, right? Like you could either give somebody a mindset that says, I want to win at all costs. Winning is very important to me. I need to be the best at this. Or you could give somebody like a very Zen uh, mindset of winning or losing doesn't actually matter. This is all just an experience and I'm going to go out there and, and honor the race by doing as well as I can, but I'm not, I'm going to take the polar opposite. Do you, yeah. which one of those people do you think would do better if um, they lined I would up together? I always take the, the person that doesn't, that isn't attached to the concept of winning. You know, they, they may win anyway, you know, without trying, but yeah, for sure. The person that's just, going to do the, do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing. Cause I think, the, I think a lot of ultra runners get that probably more than any other sport. Get what? That's just part of the, just get that they're not as tied up in winning, like winning. It's okay to be competitive. It's okay to want to win the race, but I think ultra running compared to all other sports, winning isn't the end all be all in, in ultra, especially like trail ultra. Yeah. I mean, and that's changed a little bit. Like when I think that they're more so, there's more of a winning attitude. There's more of a competitive attitude. There's more of a commodification and elitification of the sport than there was before. But, um, you know, overall, I'll take a trail runner over a, a road runner every day. But I'll take a, I'll take a winter runner over a ultra runner any day too. Because the winter people, those are the really good people. Hardcore. I'm fascinated by the Trans America bike race. Um, and there's also the Indian Pacific bike race where these guys and girls go across the entire country. You, you might be familiar with it, but for anybody that's not, they're solo, unsupported. And the last guy, Abdul Zinab, who I had on the show, he set the record, but it, it took him 16 days, nine hours, and some minutes out there by himself. And you know, the longer the race goes, the more of an equalizer it is for people that maybe aren't the fastest. It becomes who's who's the most hardcore, who's got the best mental game. Do you think, I mean, the running equivalent to that, maybe it's like a, a Moab or something, but do you think there'll ever be something where you get something that would mimic like that Transamerica bike race where they're eating out of gas stations, they're sleeping wherever they can find a place to sleep? That that could you do a running race that would take somewhere in that ballpark of like a week to two weeks, station to station, yeah, point to point? Yeah, it sounds like and, um, Vol State. How does that, that work? It's um, it's one of Laz's creations where you run. It's a run across Tennessee. I think it's four hundred and one miles, maybe something like that. And um, there's two categories: there's crude and there's screwed. And the screwed, it's, it's just basically. <laughs> You get off the ferry and you're in Tennessee and you got to get to the other side and uh, good luck. And you, you know, sleep in, you know, cemeteries or hotels or laundromats and get food as you go and 
just find a way to get from point A to point B by yourself. Do you like those type of races? Yes. I'm very, I mean, I'm not attracted to Ball State because it's become kind of a spectacle, but um, like we do our world's longest turkey trot for ALS every year. We run from Milwaukee to Chicago or Chicago to Milwaukee as a group on Black Friday. And that's like one of my favorite things. It's just, it's the same thing. It's like, we're in Chicago. We got to get to Milwaukee. We do it as a group. We stick together. You know, we eat in gas stations and, you know, just find a way to get there. Um, what do you think about untamed? Have you looked into that one at all? No, I, I've seen like a lot of people posting about it. It seems like they went out and comped like 20 super famous runners to blast about the fact that they're doing it over and over. This is the California 300, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of that, but, um, I haven't really looked into that. Not, I mean, who knows if it's actually going to happen, right? When, what's the date right. on that? I think it was, I think they just deferred it to next year. If I remember correctly. I want to say I just saw something on their Instagram that they deferred it to 2021. Next week, we're going to see a lot of May-June races go, maybe July. Well, what's happening with your – so you also have 10, uh, 10 Junk Miles Racing, and where you guys actually – you're a race director, and you put on these races. How has is, how is, uh, this impacted your schedule for some of the races that you guys have on this year? Well, our first race is May 30th, which is the Sugar Badger 50-50 and um, Half Marathon. And we have not been told – that it can't go yet. Um, I mean, between you and me, in terms of my level of confidence, it's pretty low. I think everything's basically getting canceled. But um, it's in very, very remote Wisconsin. And we have a generous deferral policy. So for our races, you can defer for a year and do any other, you get credit towards any other race we put on. So in my mind, you know, there's not going to be a refund. You have a very, if you want to know right now, you can defer. What we've done is we stopped collecting money and put everybody on a wait list that wants to sign up since this started so that nobody's like putting their money at risk. And uh, I've, you know, I've been contacting, I, I talked to two of the municipalities last week. I'm, I'm supposed to talk to DNR this week, but basically what I want is for someone to tell me when we get to the point where it can't happen. Like it's not going to happen. Um, and no one has said that definitively. Like, for example, I talked to the sheriff of um, Broadhead, which is one of the cities on the route, and we're going to use their park. And I said, he's like, what's going on? And I said, well, I mean, we're acting as if, you know, nobody knows, right? I mean, everything changes every day and no one knows anything. So I, I got to order the medals. I got to order the shirts. I got, you know. So what we told people was, is as soon as someone tells us that there's no way it can happen, we're going to, we're going to let them know. If nobody tells us that's going to happen by May, by April 24th, we're going to cancel the race. And then everyone has until May 1st to defer. So that's easy, right? If you want to defer, you can do the Badger. We have another race in the fall, two, two, three other choices you could defer to. And then we're also going to do a virtual race where we'll send you your shirt and your medal and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's the best we can do right now. I don't, I mean, I wish I knew something. I, I, you know, Adam, my partner, he's convinced we're going to be running in June. I'm more of a, I think 2020 might be a, might be a wash. I don't know. You know, it's, this is one of those things where we're not getting all the information. They're not telling us everything. No, that's been one of the most frustrating things about it is that it is so decentralized and it's messaging. And if you live in this area, you're fine. If you live in this area, you're total lockdown. What does total lockdown even mean? you know, we're drive, we drive through forest park, which is the big park in St. Louis and you'll see group workouts happening. And it's like, well, 
what, what, what's happening? Uh, Do we have any kind of a semblance of what's happening? People, like, you know, like, oh, I know. What, oh, it's ridiculous. But but it's, it's ridiculous. It's also more complicated too. Like, so take um. So like Leadville, we're, I'm signed up for Leadville. I'm hoping that we're going to do it. And, we're, you know, we were talking about, is Leadville going to happen or not? You know, and one of the things is, well, Leadville's a small town. It's a big race. They need the race for the town. The town's going to go bankrupt without it. They'll probably have the race. And then I think, well, let's, let's think about that. Because not only is it 700 people that have to get on Corona tubes and fly there. Well, let's say mm-hmm. 350 because some are local. And their families. We got crews and we got pacers. Now, where are those people all coming from? And what's the level of confinement in law where they are? No one exactly. knows, right? right? Then we got 500 volunteers. And do they still want to go hand people M&Ms? And do they still want to travel there? And what about the Airbnbs? And what about the gas stations? And what about the coffee shops? And what about the fact that Leadville's a small town? And if you bring 750 people there, you better believe someone's bringing the Corona. So, you know, are, are they ready to all get, I mean, and, and again, maybe May 15th, is an all clear and this is a moot point, but you know, there's so many, and then think about this. What about the people that lost their jobs and, and now they can't train because they, they're, they're taking care of their kids or, you know, like there's so much that which should should a mom, a single mom, be freaking out about getting in shape for Leadville when she just lost her job and she's got to homeschool her two kids? You know? Exactly. I mean, there's just so many things going into this. It's so complicated. It is very complicated. And it sucks because nobody wants the, nobody, we all want Leadville to thrive. I want all those Airbnbs to be getting paid. I want restaurants to be booming. We all, we all do. Nobody, nobody's rooting for the virus. But, we all also have to be smart. And I think, again, it's not binary. We can we can both feel for the small businesses and want them to do well and try to support them where we can, but also be smart and cancel things that need to be canceled. But, but there just hasn't been good direction from the top in terms of how we're supposed to handle this thing. And I think it's left everybody kind of feeling like they just have to make their own call on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And that's, I think that's causing a lot of people more anxiety as if it, Unless it would, be, it would almost be better to say, listen, we're shut down until the end of May for sure, and then we're going to reassess. So let's just all go with that. You know, I feel like there would be more peace in that because people could actually know what they're dealing with, and especially people that suffer with anxiety. Not knowing is like the worst possible thing that could happen to them. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, so what if they said, "Well, we're shut down until the end of May," and then in May they say we're shut down until the end of June. And then, I mean, at some point you're going to get yeah. pissed and say, why are you doing this? And I don't know the answer. I don't know if I would rather they just tell me, listen, it's going to be September too. You know, like, I don't know right. if that would be better or worse, but you know, then it, it would be easy to just say, let's just go national, the whole country, June one, rather be safe than sorry. Well then, right. okay. So then you got Montana and they're going to say, what are you talking about? There's nobody sick here. We're a big state. You're, what about states' rights? You know, there's there are still people right now that are saying, "I want to sue the government because what you're doing to me is is a, is a violation of my civil rights." Yeah, and there's so there's everyone from lock everybody up till September one to screw you. I'll do whatever I want. 
(laughs) (laughs) You're right. It is. And we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. There's no playbook. You know, we, we try to use this try to take the advice of the scientists as best we can, but there's no playbook for this. There's no, oh, okay. You know, in case of emergency break glass for instructions, we don't know. Everybody's working through this thing. And it's, it's definitely a shit show. I mean, in a lot of ways, I am proud of the, the way that people have banded together to stay home. And I feel like a lot of people are listening. St. Louis, uh, St. Louis city has done a pretty good job. The mayor here was, you know, relatively on top of it. Like our governor has been terrible. We were one of the, the nine or eight or nine last states to implement stay-at-home orders as a state. But, you know, St. Louis isn't super dense. So, you know, we haven't been hit, knock on wood, we haven't been hit that hard with it. But they've, they've done okay. But it's been a mismatch. I mean, we'll go to the grocery store, you know, for our weekly trip or whatever, and we'll see people, you know, maybe as long, short as a week ago in gyms working out and, you know, like I said, these groups of people, but all in all, I'd say it's been fair. I'd probably give us a, as a city, a, a B minus maybe. Yeah. See, it looks like, so St. Louis says 1500 cases, 42 dead. You guys, Chicago has been a little rougher, hasn't it? 13,000 cases, 455 dead. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's hard to know where to put this because when you when you hear about 400 plus people dead, and I think um, I'm trying to remember what the numbers were, I think we've got 18,000 in the U.S. dead, 105,000 worldwide. Like the, those are actual people, and they are dying. Like that's that's awful. But where do you put it? Where do you put this thing in terms of total deaths anyway? And I'm not one of these people that's like, well, the flu is worse, or car accidents are worse. Like this is obviously bad. The hospitals are getting smoked. But it's difficult to know where to put this, and the media certainly doesn't help, and all the armchair quarterbacks like myself don't help. But it's—I think people are just struggling with what to make of this and how how to feel about it. Yeah, and I, don't, I just want to say the the flu is worse guy. He's not crazy. I mean, I, I don't I don't right. necessarily think that's the relevant question. But that guy's not crazy, and that that's a perfectly reasonable thing to ask. I mean, what I was thinking about today was two thousand people died yesterday. September 11th was 2,700 maybe. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like September 11th for now for a while. It's going to be like September 11th every day, you know? Yeah. That's, that's heavy. Yeah, it is heavy, man. It's, it's, it's not good at all. It's, it's not good. And I hate that it's affecting the weakest people, you know, the most. And like what we talked about, you know, I, I hate to think about elderly people in, assisted living communities that the worst thing that you can do to an elderly person is isolate them. I mean, it's the worst thing you can do to anybody really, but especially elderly people that don't have access to technology and they're not on Instagram and it sucks, man. Like it's, it's it's shit. And then there's not really much else you can say about it other than everybody do the best job that they can. But I all, yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to demonize people that aren't taking it as seriously because it, it it it's also bad to isolate yourself and it's also bad to struggle through this thing. And I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. It's you a difficult just don't one. We fall, won't really know. You don't want to get into that situation that like Spain and Italy are getting into where you just say, well, if you're over 60 and you get this thing, we're not giving you a ventilator. Right. You know, yeah. you, you don't want to be there. <laughs> That's what we're trying to avoid. No. <laughs> yeah. And I think people are doing a good job. I think for the most part, I think people are, are doing the best they can with it. And uh, it's going to be interesting when it's all 
over with and it passes, which it will, when we can look back on it. And then I think only then we'll be able to put it in its proper context when we, when all the final numbers come in and we can look back on it. But right now it's like, it's like if you get in a fist fight, which hopefully we don't really do at our age, but you don't really know what's happening while it's happening. And then afterwards you're like, holy shit, that was crazy. Yeah, well, and <laughs> but, I, you know, right now I'm in, um, I'm in, the, I'm in the South side of Chicago and, uh, everybody's been cool. You know, like I thought, mm -hmm. you know, I, I freaked out. I had definitely had my moment of panic attack. You know, what the fuck are we going to do? Um, but there hasn't been civil unrest. I don't feel unsafe. Mm. There's plenty of food. The, the things that I was most worried about haven't really come to fruition. Put it in its proper context. You know, like right now, if you're listening to this and you're okay and your family's healthy, like you're okay. There's no reason to project worst case scenarios. But, uh, I think runners though need to just kind of tone it down because I think that I think that there's a lot of people that I see in the running community and I know why they're doing it. I, I'm not holding it against them, but you know it's like, well, if we have to stay six feet apart or more and we're allowed to run, that means that me and Brian and Jim and Sally and Tom can all meet and just stay six feet apart and then we can run together all day. Like that's not what they mean, you know? They mean run at home for fitness and stay away from people. They don't mean go run a marathon and call it the six foot of what park marathon. You know, it's like now is just a time yeah. when, you know, like I, I think the most helpful thing that I heard was, I think it was the surgeon generally said, don't act like you're afraid to get it. Act like you have it, you know? And if you have, yeah. it, would you, would you, if I had the Corona, would I choose to go run six feet apart from you? No. You know, I mean, <laughs> would I be touching ATM machines and would I be, you know, going to the Walmart? Yeah. No, <laughs> I would be in bed and staying home. So just you know, exactly do the absolute minimum. And so, and now we have another race in August and then we have another race that we just rolled out. That's uh, mid October. And you know, are those going to go? I hope so. I mean, I'm acting as if I'm spending the money, I'm buying the stuff, I'm doing the planning. Um, but you know, if they don't, then it'll suck. But at the same time, I don't want this thing to clear up July 1st. And then for everybody to be like, well, how come you're not ready for the race? Let's go. Cause, yeah. Cause when we can race again, if we can race again, I should say it's going to be, you know, people are going to be fanatics, you know, like I, I, I've, oh, yeah. I've season tickets to the Cubs. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that i don't know how that's gonna work out that's that's a I lot know. of money i got lady gaga feeling, tickets in august too you know I don't, is she coming i don't know i have a feeling the major league baseball might get canned this year this is a, just a gut feeling i think they're i think they're gonna do this plan they have i think they got a good idea they're gonna go down to, to arizona they're gonna play all the games in minor league stadiums with no audience everyone's gonna get tested everyone's gonna be clean they're gonna create like a like a like a like a place nobody can go to and just do it all there and film it all and then we're gonna love baseball all summer long dude that's beautiful <laughs> i'm dying that be for amazing. sports i got no sports sports will be the thing that brings the sense of normalcy back to everybody people need sports i mean i've been loving watching like some of these old nba games i don't know if you've seen any of this stuff but oh, like, yeah. sp like spurs uh spurs heat and like we, I love what you just said, and I love that, that times like these can bring out creative ideas that we never would have done otherwise. But yeah, watching watching a Cardinal game in a minor league stadium or a Cubs game where you're at in their old school unis with no fans, like there would be something really pure in that. That would be really 
amazing. And it's going to be fun when we start to come out of this thing, when we start to see our appreciation for this stuff. It's just going to be amazing. I mean, think about the ovation. My, the first, will get, uh, Cardinals will get. my first date was at the St. Louis Cardinals game. No kidding. With my wife, yeah. The July uh, 4th, 2007, we went to- Cards, Cubs at Wrigley? No, no. Cards at St. Louis. She, my wife's from Arkansas. Oh. And uh, to get from uh, Chicago to Arkansas, uh, four out of five of the flights per day have a layover in St. Louis. So we just met in St. Louis and went on a date and went to the game. And we had our no first uh, date weekend. And, and say, you know, and it's the best baseball town in America. I, I, I say that as a as a Cubs and Dodgers fan who is originally from Milwaukee. And no one wants to hear that, but it is the best <laughs> baseball town in America for sure. Oh, that's cool. That's cool to hear you say that. Cause when you, you know, when you grow up with it, like you just think that's just, which is just what baseball is, you know? So it's good to hear people that aren't from here saying that. What, uh, so obviously the date went pretty well. Oh yeah. Yeah. We lived happily ever after for sure. (laughs) I lived in Chicago when I was 26 ish for a year with work and, uh, lived down in Lincoln park and went to a game at Wrigley. And that was back you know, before I was plant-based and I was still drinking, so I was eating a hot dog and drinking an old style. And for me, that was an amazing, uh, baseball experience. Like, you know, the trough that you, you go to and you have to use the bathroom and Wrigley, Wrigley is, I guess it just depends on where you're from. Because for me going to Wrigley was like a true baseball experience. I was like, this is kind of like old school baseball. There was something really like gritty and like blue collar about it. They've it glammed was, it, it up a cool. lot though. Like the, Have they? the new okay. management. This There's, was like 08, 09. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when going to that going to that stadium, it felt like it was 1912 still. But now it's 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 been souped up quite a bit. It's still fun, don't get okay. me wrong. You know, like and, and we go a lot. I mean, we sell a lot of tickets, but you know, we'll we'll go to a bunch of them. And I love going to the game. It's it's like my wife will sit through, you know, she'd go to a baseball game every night. She loves it. Oh yeah. And the cool thing about Chicago is the environment outside the game. I mean Chicago's like St. Louis to go see a game at Bush Stadium is pretty awesome, but like the it's like Mardi Gras outside Wrigley Field. I mean, any game they have, like you go to a day game on a Saturday in Wrigleyville, like you're gonna have a blast. It's just the people get so geeked up about it. It's yeah, such a fun walk such up a fun uh, half a mile to the train, and we take the train, boom, boom, and you're there. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. awesome. So what's what's next for you, man? Let's put Corona aside. Obviously, like the, your races are kind of. You know, obviously, a little bit at the the mercy of uh, of what everybody decides to do. But like, when you look on the next year, what are you what are you looking to do next? Are you do you have some big races lined up for yourself, or are you concentrating on more? Like, I know you're going to put on a 24, 48 hour race. Like, what's what are some of the big things that you have coming up? Uh, assuming things can move forward, putting on the races is a big thing, and, and I love that. And, and we have the new races. There's a last man standing plus a 24 and a 48 hour race. The Badger, you know, we probably have about 140 some people signed up for the hundred, so that'll be a big race. Uh, my big race is Leadville. Hopefully, Leadville goes. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm training with Liza Howard, uh, who's a past Leadville champ, getting ready to go and do it. Which is, you know, and we're talking more about training through Corona and all this other stuff. But um, so Leadville, and then I'm also signed up for the Yeti 100 in September and the Brazos Bend 100 in December. So there's three chances for me to to have a, a bust out performance. And uh, right now, what I'm struggling with is the futility of training during the time of the Corona. Uh, I can get out there and I can run an hour, maybe an hour and a half. But at some point, I just say this just seems so small compared to what's happening in the world. And I 
mentally, I just, I think I, I don't want to think about this. You know, like I'm like, it's dumb. It feels dumb to me. Uh, but I get up every day and I run and I'm, you know, and I'm not saying that the running helps me a lot. It helps me physically, helps me mentally. It's making me strong in case I get the Corona. I mean, there's all these benefits to it, but in terms of spending all day running, I haven't found it yet. I'm going to try tomorrow. You know, like my coach keeps putting on the schedule. She'll put like six to 15. You know, if you feel it, just keep going. One of these days, I think I'm just going to like get in a groove and just bang it out a, a long one. But for now, I'm like an hour a day guy. It is hard right now with everything that's going on to concentrate on running. And you'd like to think that you just find some kind of solace in it. And maybe people do at times. Have you ever had a run? Do you have like a run that you really remember? Sometimes I've interviewed people that will say like, I fell in love with running when I had this one run and I just ran forever. And like, where have there been moments in your life where you can pinpoint certain runs that you've had that were more special than others? Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of runs that stick out in my head and usually they're tied to like a song. Like I heard a song and I, re- whenever I hear that song, I remember that run because, you know, I heard the song when I was there. Uh, like yeah. the, the best example I have is when we went to, um, I would say like an, early 2000s we went to san francisco and i really wanted to run across the bridge and the gold gate bridge and i i I could see it but i couldn't figure out how to get to it because there's like the presidio and there's all these like you know it just and i thought it was gonna be like a three mile run and like 10 miles later i'm still trying to find this goddamn bridge and then i finally (laughs) got it and like i started to run across it and cheryl crow soak up the sun came on so like whenever i hear that song i'm right there running across the golden gate bridge you know listen to soak up the, you know so like a lot of that kind of stuff that's um, awesome what uh if people want to learn more about your races what's the best way if they're like man scott seems awesome i want to be part of his community i want to do some of his races and support him like uh, races and your podcast, 10 junk miles. Like what are some ways people, if they're vibing with you and want to get, get into your community and get into your posse, what's, uh, what's the best ways people can connect with you? Well, we have races. We have Slack and a movie night tonight at seven. We're going to, we're going to watch Heather's and chat on Slack. This, this is what it's come to. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, we have a lot of things going on. So you can uh, just go to 10 junkmiles.com or 10 junk miles on Facebook. There's a link on 10junkmiles.com to our races. It says 10 Junk Miles Racing. They'll take you to our race page. There's the, the TJM Nation Facebook group. Peek at it if you want and then just leave right away because it's, it's really, it's really, a, it's a, it's a terrible place. But if those, if you decide that those are your people, they're fun because we're, we're doing all kinds of, we're, you know, so we have this ongoing chat. We do movies and we, we talk about the movies together. They're over the top, but they're fun. And, uh, I love them all. What am I going to do? <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate the time. I'm going to, I'm going to, I just thought of something. I'm going to try it. Maybe it'll be stupid. Maybe it'll be cool. But since you're a big podcast success story and you've got like, you've, you've built what you've built, me being a smaller show, I want you to, I want you to be honest with me and give me some constructive criticism. I want you to give me a grade on how you think I did, uh, interviewing you and tell me an area where I was weak and could have improved. To be a hundred percent honest. I would give you an A plus. Um, now, like I said, it's really hard when you're in the moment, but it feels <laughs> like we had an authentic conversation. And I don't I never felt in our discussion like we were performing for someone. 
You know, like that's to me. And, and don't get me wrong. There's probably people listening that are just like, this interview sucked. All you guys did was ramble about your life. You didn't talk about any, you know, like whatever. But in terms of like what my thing is, and that's just like, if put it this way, let's say that I was in St. Louis and you said, Hey man, I listen to your podcast. Let's go for a long run and talk. We could have had the exact same conversation. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So I, I appreciate that, man. Well, thank you. I think you're being generous, but I really appreciate that. And it's, it's really nice to to interview someone like yourself that is in the game because you're, you're really good. You know, who like do I you can want to interview who's on your list. Who can't, oh, that's a really good can't question. You, can't you, know, you find, let's get you some, I, people. I don't know if you'll be able to help with this one, but maybe you can't cause you got a, you've got a long reach. I want to interview a primatologist. I want to talk to somebody that studies primates and i want to f- talk about the links between humans and primates that's that's my next i got two of them right do you off, really right, right off the bat yeah well i don't know let me say this i don't know that that their official title is a primatologist that's okay like an expert in the field is what i'm looking for uh, two i have two people that are phds in the area of apes or monkeys is that close enough 100 percent. all right so and one of them is a st louis you should call this chick uh Sorry, I called you a chick if you listen to it. Um, Amanda Smith, Dr. Amanda Smith. She's a, pr- a professor at the University of Chicago. And um, her specialty is in monkeys. Beautiful. And she's in our running. And, and she's been on my show twice. That's that's amazing. I would love to talk to her. That would be that would be awesome. That's that's my next idea. I mean, that's who I'm looking to talk to. I guarantee there's some runners that I don't know about that I'll be trying to get in touch with, but I don't have like a I don't have like a maybe I should. Maybe I need to get on it, but I don't have like a big list of people that I I want to get on. It's been it's my that's my biggest struggle right now is like that mixture of of I need to be more consistent and I, but I also don't want to just do a podcast just to do a podcast. So it's it's you know, finding the right guest is is definitely a challenge for me. I just point. sent you Amanda Smith's Facebook page. Awesome. Thank you very you tell much. Her that I, I will definitely you. reach out. And if you ever think of somebody Thank that you. you want to see, you know, or that, you know, you're trying to connect with, or, you know, is there someone in the running community? I mean, I know a lot of people. Um, okay. Most of them are home right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it is a good time to be in podcasting for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate that. I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I will be hitting you up uh, if you don't mind. You Do know, you know Shalini? Shalini um, Kovac? She, she does the um, Shawnee Hills 100 and she's got a running company. She's like St. Louis area. Okay. What's her last name? Kovac, K-O-V-A-C-H. Uh, okay. Let me just see. I'll pull her up. She she's another good one because she's in your area. She's the St. Louis Women's Trail Summit, uh, Shawnee Hills hundred hundred k, the Ozark Mountain Ultra, fifty um, k mashup trail series, Ozark Foothills one hundred, Rock and Rockwoods Ultra Run, the Terrain Trail Runners in St. Louis. Okay, cool. Yeah. I will look her up for sure. Appreciate that. Um, they're both friends, by the way. So, oh, okay. The one okay. that I just sent you and her. So those are two people that I would awesome, want to interview man. if I was you. I appreciate it, brother. I and like the mayors thank you for too. Your, they were both really good. They are amazing people, and uh, I, I heard you said that you would listen to those podcasts. I appreciated that. They are just two of the most solid people in our community. I mean, they're both they're both studs. They're you know they're in the top. 
three of every race they get in a set basically and they're just the nicest people in the world i mean ryan and jamie have built this arch city run club in st louis and it's this massive group of people and they're always posting they're always active they're always giving people free advice like ryan was training me for free and um just because he wants me to do well like there's no ulterior motive behind it and him and jamie are uh really good people and they're both huge fans of your uh of your show as well they they put me on to you very early and ryan gave me a uh a tjm buff he was like here man now you're official like you've got a tjm buff so they uh, I, they're big fans I, of I knew ryan i don't know that i knew of jamie but i knew of ryan for some reason earlier and i think that's the reason yeah. why i listened is because i saw him and he was someone that i want to i want to listen to this josh rosenblatt i haven't heard that but now i'm looking at it, it says one man search for meaning that makes me think of the victor frankel book yeah man search for meaning it's a great book That's one of the uh, josh rosenblatt ever. it is i love that i love that book read it a long time ago it's really great josh rosenblatt's an awesome guy he he's a he's an he chose to do an mma fight he's a writer he's like a very intellectual guy and a pacifist and he was scared of violence and intrigued by violence and he signed up for an mma fight and that's what the book's about and he's a great interview and the Myers are both great interviews too if you ever need you know if you ever wanted to talk to him I've, any of them i can yeah and i've listened to both of their interviews too but what yeah. about uh what about david clark if you, you know him david clark i don't believe so no he's, I don't he's think a I plant-based have. sober warrior he used to weigh like 500 pounds and He's been no on kidding. Rich Roll. He's a really good guy. He wrote, okay. he wrote a couple books. Uh, so awesome. He's, he's and he has a huge following too. People really like him a lot. It's the uh, We Are Superman podcast, and uh, yeah, he was super super yeah. fat, lost a lot of weight. And he's he's a vegan guy and really good. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You, okay. You'd cool. probably really jive with him. Okay. I sent you his. That's thing. awesome. So that's there's three. Thanks, man. You're just. Just hooking me up. Appreciate yeah. it. I'll just, you know, we'll just say 10 Jock Miles presents, you know, and boom, there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do one of your races too, man. I'm still like my first ultra got, got canned, but because of the uh, Corona, but what, what was it? Uh, uh, Double Chub 50K. Oh, okay. It's uh, just outside of St. Louis. There's a ton of elevation. It's supposedly a really cool race. It's an out and back. And I've, you got the reason, one of the reasons I chose it was I got to train on the trails and, uh, there's a lot of elevation. It's a it's a really cool it's a really cool track, but that's gonna have to wait until next year. But um, no elevation gonna, in my place. I read that. I was thinking yours might be a good one for me to try a little bit of a longer race. You know, to try maybe like a hundred k or a fifty miler because you know, like it's a little bit more gettable for newbies. It seems like it's a perfect first fifty or hundred. And that's the sugar sugar badger. Um, yeah, sugar badger the right or one? the badger. Okay. Or that that fall one too. That, you know, like one of the things about the twenty five or the twenty four forty eight hour format is if you're now that's this might not be you, but if if someone out there really wants to do a hundred miler, but they don't want to worry about the cutoff, mm-hmm. you sign up for forty eight hour and you can camp at the start finish. It's, it's only a four hour or a four mile trail. You you just camp and you could just you could do it in two days. You know, you can take as long as long as you want. So that, oh, that's cool. you know, for a 50 mile or a hundred mile or, you know, 150 or whatever, yeah. you know, I like that. What is, uh, what is that in fall? That the one is uh, second week of October. Okay. Okay. We should be in the clear by then. Knock on wood. Oh, um, 
as long as people don't get stupid and go party too soon and you know yeah, then it starts spreading across the, the country and you know it could be flare-ups here and there i mean that, that's the problem right if like we, we we solve it here and we're getting better and then someone you know comes flying in here with it and gets everybody sick again then we're back to square one i mean as as much as i hate to say it i have a feeling that's going to be our our fate is that it's going it is going to come in waves and it is going to have little flare-ups and um you know, I don't know, man. I, I'm not an infectious disease expert by any means, but I do know that it seems like viruses can be kind of fickle. So maybe, maybe we'll get lucky. You know, maybe we'll get one wave and it'll burn itself out. And but that's that's in my scientific opinion. You it know, seems like being the, a college the, dropout. Yeah, it seems like the um, totalitarianism really helps with this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, why can't we be China just for a little while? <laughs> Get out. <the house. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. I know. Yeah, it is helpful for that type of stuff. But uh I got a call with Fauci later. I'll tell Fauci what, what you and I talked about and see if we can get some of this stuff implemented. And just tell him that I said no one knows more than him. So like whenever I like if you see someone post something on the internet about this, first question, do they know more than Fauci? If, if the answer <laughs> is no, then scroll on. All right. Don't share it with everybody. You know, yeah. Just, Fauci probably but, knows. Know, but Tucker from YouTube, you know, said, uh, said this is all just a big hoax. So I don't know. I mean, how do you square that? And this includes like, Trump. It includes your governor. It includes your mayor. What? I don't care who your leader is. They don't know more than Fauci. I, I cringe every time I hear Trump say the names of drugs, you know, this hydrochloroquine. And uh, it's like, dude, <laughs> you don't know anything about what you're, you have no idea what you're talking. You're, you're out of your element. Donnie, he needs a press secretary. You know? That's what he needs. <laughs> Got to have a- <laughs> yeah, something. Like other than uh, me, if like if I was president, I might be okay at that job. But I mean, in theory, the president should not be the press secretary. No, nobody wants to, no. you know, especially because then you can say, the press secretary can say, well, I don't know the answer to that. Let me talk to the president and get back to you on that. Or, you know, like right. there's like a bump in everything. Instead, they like, but you know what? The, and, and this is weird. No matter how much you, you dislike Trump, the people distrust the press. Their, their trust rating is lower than Trump. That's, I mean, think about that. He's terrible. They're worse. And that's all we have to go on. Everybody's just Fauci. That's all I'm listening to. Just Fauci. That's the best way to go. I mean, I signed up for a link from Johns Hopkins. And so I would advise people if they want to go to Johns Hopkins website, you can you can sign up for a daily brief basically and they email you with what's going on. And it's very factual and it's there's no hyperbole, you know. They just tell you here's the deaths, here's the what we're seeing, here's some things different countries have done. And yeah, you look at that and you listen to the scientists and you tune everything else out because the media model is just broken. I mean, I'm not saying that all media is crooked and untrustworthy, but when you do, when you have a model that is based on advertisement, what are you going to push out there? You're, you're basically producing TV now. You're you're trying to attract what people get get people to watch the show. People want to see train wrecks and people want to see maps with these red dots all over them. And you know, it's 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 doesn't work. Like yeah. that's they're they're incentivized to be sensationalists, and that's. Not good for anybody. You know what? Watching the press and Trump is like watching um, two people in a relationship. One is super insecure 
and one feeds off the other person's insecurity and they go back and forth, like making it worse. You know, like you've seen that yeah. couple where you're just like, stop making it when they just make it worse, make it worse, make it worse. That's what yeah. Trump and the media do to each other. And it's just, that's <sighs> you're right, man. I never thought of it that way, but you're right. Just that to couple that just, yeah. Can we just let Fauci talk once a day for 30 minutes and move on with our day? And, you know, like watch Seinfeld reruns or something. It's, Anyway, man, I uh, we could probably talk all day. At some point, we're going to have to, you know, meet you at one of these races or something, and we'll go grab a coffee or hang out. Absolutely, and, uh, that would be awesome. Let me know if you're ever in St. Louis. Uh, you've always got a place to stay. If you ever want to catch a cards game, I'll let you know if I'm in Chi Town. But uh, I'm going to look at your races, man, and try to maybe get something on the docket for this fall. Awesome. And then when this goes out, you tell me so that we can promote it and stuff. And then, you know, the people, they stick around and they ask some more stuff, you know, they download the rest of them. So that's the, you know, if as a guy who has a podcast, you know, the best thing that you can do for anybody's podcast, if you want to help them out is subscribe, rate it and review it. Cause those rates and those reviews, even if they're shitty reviews or shitty ratings, they help pump it up and then more people find it. So if you're listening to this, you want to do me a favor, you want to do Brian a favor, go and just quickly review, just say it's awesome or it's shit. Whatever you want to say, doesn't matter. One star to five. Yeah, but the more people that rate and review the show, it's like, uh, it's worth its weight in gold. Okay, good to know. I and appreciate that. You should that. be telling people to do that on every show too. I struggle with that, to be honest with you. I struggle with it. I, I, I get, I get the value in it. I just, I struggle to say it. I don't know what it is, man. There's something about that, like, rate, subscribe, comment. Like, I just, I struggle with it. Well, not sure if why. If you like what you're hearing and you think other people might like it, and you want them to find it, you need to rate and review it. You know, and you're not telling them. Yeah. You're not. You don't get money. No one's paying you because you got a good review or you've got you know, five-star rating, your incentive in saying that your, your motive is that you want more people to get something out and more people will hear me talk about my struggles and be inspired. So don't feel bad. You're not, I mean, it's, again, if you're saying, you know, you got to pay 1999, you know, that's different. Yeah. But, good point. You know, good point. There's no, there's no shame in saying that. And it's free. Yeah. It's a free true, podcast. True. <laughs> the price is right. Yeah. You know, like I do a I do a really small ad at the beginning, one short, I think it's like a 45 second to a minute ad at the beginning. And that's it. Um and I and I've considered different models before. My goal right now is not to make obviously, you know, you don't make a whole lot of money in podcasting, especially when you've got eight episodes, but um not to continue to take up more of your time, but like what are your thoughts on podcast models? Like I know you run you run like a Patreon model, then obviously you have gear and stuff like that. Like, how do you think about this from a financial perspective? Uh, well, I don't like to lose money. So at some right. point I decided, how can I get some revenue? So we have an Amazon click-through banner. You click through the banner, you go buy the stuff that you normally buy. Helps out the show. We get a kickback from Amazon. That helps. Um, we sell more gear than any other podcast. I mean, we sell gear everywhere. Yeah, I like uh, that. And that... You know, and if you sell gear, you sell stuff that people use. So, like buffs, I've been selling the shit out of the buffs, especially with the Corona. Yeah. You know, um, it's a pain in the ass, and it's the hardest money that I make. Like at the end of the day, I always, I always have to tell myself, if I would just say, "Screw all this," I'll do some law. I can make you know like three hundred bucks an hour on that. You know, right? <laughs> I can make like twenty five bucks an hour yeah. doing podcasting, so it's you know, right? Not the best. It's like the the hardest money that I've ever made, but it's also 
you know, if I make money, it's the greatest money that I make because I'm doing something that I love. Bonus. So, so yeah. gear, Amazon, Patreon. So let's say there's um, 70, let's say there's only 50 people that listen to your show and they, they go on Patreon and they go $1 a month. That's 50 bucks a month. That pays like probably half your expenses. Yeah, hundred you know? percent. That's a that's another mic. That's you know yeah. upgraded, pl- whatever and laptop. What's like, one dollar a month. Yeah, you know? no fair point. And so what I say to fair people, so like look look at my show. I'm doing two long runs and two gang shows a month. So that's let's say they average two and a half hours each. That's ten hours. And now I'm putting up thirty. <laughs> I'm putting up a twenty minute show every day. So that's another what you know. Two for six hundred hours. That's another ten hours. So you're getting twenty twenty to thirty hours a month worth of entertainment for me for free. And if you give a dollar, I mean, what can you do for thirty hours for a dollar? It is unbelievably cheap, and I feel like that when I'm listening to other podcasts, your podcast, Rich Roll. Like I'm like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this is free, and I'm happy to sit through the little ad, which I normally skip past and it looks like that's a very small price to pay don't ever skip through our ads because we go on tangents <laughs> you could be like it could be like an hour of of a tangent and then we come back to the ad the ad model is funny i listen to like you listen to sam harris and you know he has a problem with the ad model and i've got an ad in my podcast ideally i would like to not have ads but i've always just felt like it's easier just to let people sit through an ad than to ask them for cash you know like what's your thought on the ad model did you is it cause any well, conflicts of interest so here's what i i don't so the patreon now, you go on, like, there's a lot of shows, like Sam Harris is a good example. Well, he's a bad example for another reason, but you go on Patreon, you give to, not, I don't think he's even on Patreon, is he? No, he was, and he got off because he had a problem with something that Patreon oh, did. Oh, the political thing, yeah. So let's, yeah, let's take, yeah. like, Ultra Runner Podcast. Um, if you pay to be a patron of Ultra Runner Podcast, you get early content and you get Patreon-only content. That they're not getting oh, to okay. anyone else, and that drives me crazy because you're saying some of your fans get more than others, you know. So if yeah. you give to Ten Junk Miles, and and I'll this is inside baseball, but what the hell? The highest Patreon we have pays one hundred and six dollars a month. A month, most people give a dollar, but everybody yeah. that gives a hundred six or a dollar. All those people, here's what they get for being patrons of the show. Not a goddamn thing. We don't give them anything because I don't want other people to not get it. All they get is to know that they're the ones that are financing this thing. And every gang show, I read the list of all the people. It takes seven minutes to read their names. But I read all their names because they're the ones that are paying. But I don't give them anything more for doing that at all. But I think that it's a good model and you should consider it just because – um, any podcast that I listen to that has it, I give at least a dollar to because, yeah. you know, why not? No, I'm with you. And I like the idea of, Hey, listen, if you want to support the show, you can, yeah. here's a way you can do it. My fear on it is I have not established a consistent cadence for my show. And I worry that if I started having people give me money, I would feel pressure to put out more shows and I'm just not ready for that kind of, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you have a system you're, you're giving, they know what they're getting with you. You're going to push out content where I feel like I'm not really there yet where I could, I would feel badly if people were giving me money, I would be like, shit, I got to put a show out, which maybe that's not the worst thing in the world, but. And then people um, also just send us money or they send us stuff. That's cool. Like we give the address. I have a, I have a 50 inch TV up above me that someone sent us. They sent us a bar 
a chicken coop, rubber chickens. They love sending rubber chickens. Um, <laughs> exploding we, gifts, we a- <laughs> things that are penis shaped, um, shot glasses, all of our barware. Uh, we, we're like, we need some shot glasses. And then all of a sudden there's like hundreds of shot glasses being mailed to us from fans from all over the country. They send us you know, awesome. baked goods and can openers and just random stupid stuff just because we open it on the show and then uh, talk about it. So. Do you say like a PO box or like a business, like an office? They sent it to my law firm, which my, oh, okay. my partner doesn't appreciate when the when the, <laughs> when the hundred pound bar shows up or the chicken coop. You're like, what in the hell's going on here? But um, yeah. oh, that's awesome. It's just that's all awesome. about making it more interactive, you know. I love it, man. I I I think that's amazing. We got I, the bonk uh, line. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, where they call in and they you leave a voice recording of your uh, your bonk experience. Yeah, they call when they're bonking. That's that's, nice. that's amazing. Yeah. That's just my that's phone so cool. too. So, you know, nice. <laughs> so whenever I call people, well, man, they're like, "This is bonk line." <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you epitomize doing this for the right reasons, and I think that's why you've been so successful. And I think that's why you're still in the game. You know, five years later, is because you're you actually love what you do, and you love the people that you're working with, and it's it's respectable, man. I, I really appreciate you making the time to come on and really greatly appreciate your candidness and, and your sharing your story and opening up and having the courage to talk about things that uh, maybe aren't the most pleasant for you to think about or talk about, but will for sure help some people. And you're a good dude, man. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, I appreciate you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. No, it's a, it's an honor for anyone to ask me and uh, anytime. And hopefully, you know, if you want to come, we go to a Cubs game and you can come do a gang show and see how the uh, sausage is made over here. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Let's we'll, do we'll it. definitely make that happen. Let's do it. We'll, uh, you know, once we, uh, once we quote unquote reopen this country, we will, uh, we'll make some, we'll, we'll make some cool stuff happen, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to know you and hopefully this will be the first of many conversations to come. Awesome. Boom. Coalition. What did you think? I was just absolutely blown away with Scott. What an amazing guy just to talk to, a fun guy to talk to. But the fact that he was that willing to open up about his story just just so that he could possibly help somebody else. And I feel like that's just a through line for his entire life. It's obvious to me that he doesn't do the podcast or the race directing or the website or the Facebook groups for himself. He's doing this to lift other people up and make other people people feel good and feel accepted and welcome. And uh, I just have a tremendous amount of respect for Scott. Scott, thank you so much, man. Really enjoyed talking with you. I know that won't be the last time that we, you and I talk. Uh, Coalition, let's support Scott. Check out his podcast. I'm sure you already do. But if you haven't, 10 Junk Miles podcast. He also has 10 Junk Miles Racing. So sign up for one of Scott's races, 10junkmiles.com. And on Instagram, he is ScottyWK2. So again, that's at ScottyWK2. So if you enjoyed the episode, maybe share it on your story and tag Scott so that he knows uh, that the coalition has his back. Let's show him some love. Scott, thanks again. Coalition, take care of yourselves. Can't wait to see you guys all soon.